Happy Monday, everybody. TGIM. It's five o'clock somewhere. And I'm actually shocked that Edgar finished a portion of his whiskey quicker than Armand and I today. <laughs> Joined this one today. Uh, so the other ones, you've always not enjoyed. That's what you I think I'm getting better at this drinking I game. I think that's what it is. <laughs> that's what happens when you hang out with us for 168 episodes. <laughs> eventually uh, we get to you yeah, very very quickly uh i gotta do a plug uh baby alec was born uh 7 a.m tuesday morning he was uh he was kind enough to wait until the podcast ended on monday before what a gentleman bro. yeah edgar called it uh, yeah i did call that edgar one. called it edgar's been calling a lot of things lately but i uh, don't listen to me folks just don't listen to me please <laughs> eight uh eight and a half pounds 21 inches healthy baby mom's healthy as well so uh boy girl or are you gonna let him decide alec vartan so boy alec vartan you're being very mean oh, let him no. decide <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, brother. Welcome to the world, baby Alex. Congratulations. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Our guests don't drink tonight. That's It's not that we didn't offer it. This is what's going to probably happen. They're going to take that 20 seconds of the clip. They're going to cut out the part that Armun said, you know, our guests don't drink. And they're going to put it all over the internet and say, look what the wiseness did. They're, they're cheering while the guests are sitting there. And, <laughs> and then we have to go do damage control next week. And it's, it becomes a shit show. But uh, I want to welcome two very special people here with us, Mr. Edgar Okopian and Mr. Vigen Arabian. Thank you guys for uh, joining us on this fabulous Monday uh, to have a great discussion about Armenia. Thanks for having us. So quickly, before we obviously dive into uh, the projects that you guys have been working on, uh, I don't know, Edgar, you want to start, or Vigan, do you want to start as far as a little bit of a background behind, uh, you know, how you guys met and, you know, what what led you guys to kind of practically, you know, leave the States and move to Armenia? Before you go on, I think I've got a sound problem. Do you? What, I can what hear I'm... the sound go, come and go. So How about now? It's better now. There you go. Okay. Uh, I would have, we can start since you moved to Armenia and you did your work, then I met you there. You joined him. Yeah, so I joined you. So you started kind of the whole thing. And so kind of go with the background and then I'll jump in, in the, when I'm into the picture. Where should I start? What year? Vegan leaves the U.S. If you want to start, start <laughs> from you were born in Lebanon. Oh, from that. Yeah, yeah I mean, let's quick. start there. I mean, you, yeah, literally where were you were, you weren't born in Armenia. No, I was born in Lebanon. I was born in Beirut in the poorest neighborhood of Buchamuk, which is the Armenian town in Beirut, to a poor family. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandfather is a survivor of the Armenian genocide, um, and he was a little boy. He grew up in, in an orphanage in, Aleppo, Sorry, Sorry, in Syria, <clears throat> and my dad was born in Syria. Right. I was born in Beirut, and at the age of 18, I graduated high school, um, and the largest high school in Beirut, Jemadan, and I, um, it was the thing to do, I guess, because, you know, there was nothing else to do. There was war, country was ravaged, uh, higher education, levels of higher education was, were not there anymore, you know, you couldn't get a decent education, higher education in Lebanon anymore. I was admitted to the AUB, American University of Beirut, but I, I didn't think I should go, so I just left and went to the U.S., came to the U.S. I had a lot of relatives in the U.S., just about maybe 50 different cousins, you know, from uh, my parents' side, from my uh, 
dad's side and uh, they welcomed me here. They helped me here. Um, and uh, I was able to go to college, junior college at Pierce College. And then I went to Cal Poly Pomona for three years and graduated as a mechanical engineer. And I got into the construction industry and uh, one thing led to another. And uh, during that time, the war in Artsakh started. And um, of course, the earthquake took place and then the war. And in 2005, I was married with three kids, three boys. My oldest was at the time nine month, nine years old, and my youngest was seven months old. And uh, it wasn't like it happened overnight, but I had planned to do it for years ahead of that. So in 2000, May 2005, I uh, took my family and moved to Armenia. And um, <clears throat> the, the interesting question at the time was, why are you guys moving? <clears throat> and my answer was always the same, because, because I want to move. There was no reason for me to move except for the fact that I wanted to live in Armenia. That's it. I had no job, no prospects, um, no offers, nothing. Did you that, need any of that? Well, you know. Did you have money saved up before you moved or you just kind of winged it? I, I had some money saved up, saved up. I had a house here. I still do. But I wasn't, I can't say I was well off. I was wealthy. Definitely not. But I uh, went to Armenia and, and uh, as a, I was an engineer and a, and a construction uh, professional here. So I thought, hey, what else could I do? I wasn't going to be a, you know, a hairstylist. So I, uh, with a friend of mine, a, a dear friend of mine from, uh, from the U.S., Haraj and I, we started uh, a construction company and, and a construction project, a large construction project. Uh, and um, basically... Um, that was my at least professional and personal side of things, and I've been there since. Um, and back in two thousand one, um, during the, uh, <clears throat> um, I guess my stay in the U.S. My I guess I've lived most of my life in the U. My life in the U.S. because you know I've lived for twenty years in the U.S. That's longer than anywhere else to this day, at least. And then I'll pass that. Pretty soon in Armenia. In four, three, four years, years yeah, now. you'll pass. Yeah. Twenty twenty six, you'll do that. <clears throat> yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not counting the days, but <laughs> I guess I know it will. Um, but in two thousand one, during my visit to Armenia with some friends, we started an organization um, because we realized the importance of um, keeping the liberated lands, not only uh, politically and militarily, but also most importantly, uh, demographically. We I w- visited the the, uh, the liberated territories of Artsakh, Artsakh in general, and realized how little importance we've given to those territories since the liberation of 1992-93. So we thought no land can be Armenia if, if Armenians don't live on it. So we started an organization called Yergir Union, which means country, Yergir in Armenia, <clears throat> in Armenian. So we started the organization and um, it branched out to several countries. Um, it was a union of five or six Five at the beginning, and then a sixth organization joined us. So we were actually a, a union of six different organizations with a common goal of, of repatriating the liberated territories of Artsakh, uh, mostly the southern territories of Artsakh, the Jiragan and Gofsagan regions, Kashatakh region, southern Kashatakh. But, you know, we had projects everywhere, including Karbajar. So we were either um, renovating existing houses, mostly building brand new houses, mostly building brand new villages, when I say new villages, they were mostly existing villages that were ruined during the war. 
Uh, some of them were 2,000-year-old villages with 2,000, you know, 1,500-year-old um, churches in them. So we're talking historic Armenian lands with more uh, history behind them than anywhere else in Armenia. So um, that organization is what basically got me involved in Artsakh and the importance. And, and you know, I got to know Artsakh uh, in and out. And every time I'd go to Armenia several times a year, four or five times a year for several weeks at a time, <clears throat> I wouldn't spend more than a day or two in Yerevan during the two to three weeks I was there. <clears throat> I would basically crisscross Artsakh from north to south from the Arax River all the way to Karbajar. <clears throat> and um, it was revealing to me. It was just enlightening to, for me to see how Armenian those lands have been for so many thousands of years and how little Armenian they were, <clears throat> even after 10, 15 years of liberation. But I mean... Your original goal when you left the states was was not to create a nonprofit or to create an organization to help Armenia. Was it to basically just leave the states and move to Armenia and <coughs> raise the kids there? Was that what it was? And then it became another mission. My my, as I said, my goal was just to live in Armenia. on Armenian soil, and yeah, in Armenia. And I didn't want my kids to be Americanized. In fact, when when they were kids. We would uh, wait until they go to bed, 7, 30, 8 o'clock at night. We're talking little kids, you know, four or five years old. We would wait until they go to bed and then turn TV on because we didn't want them to hear English really? at that age because we, we didn't want them to think in English. We wanted them to think in Armenian. And for that, I knew we had to basically, especially at that young age, we, for them to think and feel in Armenian, not just speak the language. We knew we had to basically, you know, surround them with, with the language and the culture. So... Uh, and there wasn't, we didn't have Armenian TV at the time. And so we had to wait until they go to sleep. So, and the cartoons they would watch, <clears throat> they were all non-speaking cartoons, you know, like Tom and Jerry and those kinds of cartoons. So we were careful to make, to make sure uh, they were raised in the Armenian spirit. And, and how, and how many, how many kids you had, you said you had three? three, I have three boys. And what was the oldest one? How old was the oldest one when you moved to Armenia? Nine years old. So, so for nine years, you kind of. I don't want to say shelter because shelter is kind of a is more of a it's tough. It's a tough word, but so you have a twenty four year old son. Actually, more than that, twenty six. Twenty six, man. Wow. What was what was your elder? I mean, the younger ones, I wouldn't say it might have affected them as much. What was your eldest son's kind of uh, reaction to packing up and moving halfway across the world? They prepped them, bro. Not that they had a choice, but <laughs> no, obviously, no, Be- not- because realistically speaking, how I mean, you're you're in real estate. How difficult is it for a family to pack up and leave from move from Glendale to Santa Clarita? It's tough, man. I mean, which is what so- like six, seventeen Bro, miles. Do you know how many clients? Miles? Do you know how many clients I've had where they've said, "I want to move to Simi Valley," and yeah. I go, "Listen, it's, it's it's pretty far from family," <laughs> and they go, "You know, I I I just want to move there. I think it'll be great. I'll be away from all this traffic." And then a year later, they'll call me. They're like, "Hey, listen, can you uh, can you can you, can you stop by?" I go, "Why? What's up?" He goes, "So we're thinking about putting the house on the market and coming back." This is like a year in. I know people that went to Northridge and they moved yeah. back but to Glenda. But again, I mean, this is you're you're moving to understand. you're moving to the motherland, as Stepan Partamian would say, the motherland. Uh, so it's it's kind of like you're going back home. But as far as like you know, just dropping everything and just moving back. I mean, you did have business here. You did have a house here. You sold everything and you went right. 
Well, you know, you, you, you use the word going back. Um, technically, I wasn't going back because I wasn't born in Armenia. In fact, I was going for fact, the first time. Armenia was my homeland, but it wasn't my country in the sense that I, it was a foreign country yeah. to me. I mean, I'm talking objectively here. I'm not, I don't want people to misinterpret what I'm yeah. saying. Um, so it was extremely dear to my heart, but at the same time, uh, everything in Armenia was foreign to me. So I had to learn. I had to understand how people thought. I had to, you know, everything from the geography to, uh, and, and the funny thing is the uh, <clears throat> Artsakh being um, to, to, to a lot of people, to hopefully to most of us, uh, and certainly to me, Artsakh being the most important, the most critical and the dearest to our heart region of Armenia, Mars of Armenia. Uh, Artsakh was what I was familiar with. <laughs> I wasn't that familiar with most of Armenia except for Artsakh. So when I moved to Armenia, I had to start learning, you know, understanding where I am. And, and uh, I wasn't familiar with Yerevan. I had been to Yerevan like 50 times and I didn't, I was getting lost. In yeah, because I was about to say, I was like, had you been to Armenia prior to you moving there? I mean, as a tourist. Yeah, yeah times. numerous times. Okay, okay. I'm That's what I wanted to Four or five do. times a year I would go, but I never spent time in the Yerevan. So I, I didn't do the co coffee shop scenes and restaurant ah, scenes. So typical tourist stuff. I would always <laughs> go to arts. I mean, I would, I would land, you know, in the afternoon and uh, at night. Thing. And then five o'clock in the morning, we would take off and go to Artsakh for two weeks. So we would crisscross, crisscross Artsakh. So to me, Yerevan was a foreign city still, even after moving. So even though I'd been there, you know, tons of times. So, uh, but, you know, Yerevan is a, you're comparing what, Las, Glendale to Simi Valley? Yerevan is where things happen. Yerevan is a city. It's a lively city. And um, to me, every time I come to LA, I feel like I'm, I just landed in a desert, you know, because uh, the humanity in Yerevan and, and, and uh, the, you know, people's movement, just, it's, it's, everything is so alive. It's culture. It's it's culture. It's it's national culture too. And I, I can't deny the fact that there's a national element in it. I don't know what I would have felt if I was a Frenchman, but the fact is, I know a lot of foreigners who live in Armenia who have moved to Armenia because they love the scene, they love the life. So it must be very interesting, even to non-Armenians. I know it is. Well, <clears throat> elaborate on the difference because you've lived in LA for twenty years and you've lived in. Armenia now for almost 20 years the difference between when you say there's so much life because people say there's a lot of life in New York and Vegas right the city that never sleeps uh, but what wh what does that mean when you say there's a lot of because I, I hear when people visit Armenia there's I hear two perspectives one is you know they're they they've progressed you know, they now they have service when you go to coffee shops, restaurants, and, you know, they actually know how to talk to you. There's customer service. And then there's still others that come back are like, all oh, these people are never going to change. They still don't know how to approach you and how to talk to you. They think you're a foreigner because you're from the U.S. or from some other country. They treat you like you're you're, you're not from there. So, but your, I mean, your story seems like you just went in there, you fit into it, and it, it was all <laughs> you had no challenges but so what is that when you talk about the life actually be life being so different over there what is exactly that you what do you mean by that you know um <clears throat> there's a christian proverb that says <clears throat> the um treat people as you want to be treated the way you want to be treated and it's so true um i have um not to say that i've not been treated wrongly 
I haven't been wronged in Armenia. I have. But, and you know, there's, there's all kinds of people in society. So including the Armenian society in Armenia. So, but the major, the vast majority of people, if they see that you treat them as an equal, uh, they will treat you back as an equal. In fact, they'll treat you back as more than an equal because they realize that you've taken an extra step to, to go to Armenia and live with them. So they understand that. And this isn't about education. This isn't about being educated or anything. No, it's about, so it all starts with you, with me in this case. When I went to Armenia, <clears throat> I remember a week or so before we went, I gathered the kids and the family and I told everyone, and they still remember that that day. My, my kids still remind me of that day and what I told everyone. And because in the U.S., everyone speaks of Armenians in Armenia as they and Armenians here as us. So it's, it was always us and them, us and them. For years, that's the way it was. So I remember telling my family, especially my two young kids, they were little boys. But they still remember that from this day on, <clears throat> the minute we land in Armenia, we're going to be part of the us. So them get, is going to be us in LA. Used to it. Well, the minute we land in Armenia, we're going to be part of us. Meaning, we're never going to say they again, them again. It's always going to be us. What, so, so, what do you refer to us in LA in Armenia? They, they are you're us. the they. Now. We are the That's they. That's what now. I. <laughs> the opposite. People, people come to Armenia and start criticizing. These pronouns the are throwing me off. <laughs> they, them, thus. Well, the reality is, they start criticizing the locals, like you just said. And I tell them, look, be careful. You know, I'm one of the locals. I'm one of the us. So they go, no, 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 you're not. You're not. You're you're a spook guy. I said, no, no, I'm not. I'm a local. They go, well, you don't dress like the locals. I said, that's fine. Do I have to dress to be? Is it in the dress? They go, well, we don't, you don't exactly speak, you know, you're not quite there yet. You still have a little bit of spukahai, you know, aremudahai in you. I said, I understand that. So amazingly, I, I, I've, I've mastered English better than I've mastered my own dialect of my own language. But it doesn't matter. It's how you feel. It's not your language. It's not your dress yeah. code. It's not. It's, it's what's inside. It's, it's what's inside. And people see that immediately. And I tell the spukahais or any Armenian who comes to Armenia, Be careful with me because I'm, I'm a local. I feel like a local. If you say anything bad about locals, you're insulting me directly. Yeah. So because, yes, we have problems. We've got lots of problems. But we have the problems. It's our problems. And, and I think culturally back then uh, it was a little bit more different than it is now. I think if you were to move to Armenia today, being from Lebanon, having obviously a different dialect of Armenian, I think they would – Except they, I don't want to say except, but they would basically, uh, they would look at you a little bit more. They would look at you differently rather than they would 20 years ago. Am I not correct? Well, uh, when I, when you say Armenia, I, I, unfortunately, I'm going to say Yerevan in the center of Yerevan because uh, Armenia is a very centralized country, and Yerevan is the same way. It's a very centralized city, so most of what happens when it comes to life, it's in Yerevan. It's in the center and surrounding areas of the center. So, yes, you're right. Yerevan and the center of Yerevan and the surrounding areas are much more cosmopolitan today than they were, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. And we've seen, I mean, we see it less because we're living in it. So um, most people who come to Yerevan, to Armenia, uh, realizing or seeing that it's, it's eye-popping, you know. Uh, the things that were just unheard of 20 years ago are everyday life today. So, yes, it's become more open, Um Locals are uh, more understanding uh, to to the 
non-Armenian or non-local Armenian culture than they were before. To them before, everything that Spukahais did was weird. Now they understand and they accept it. Most of them do. Some people still don't, but that's okay. They'll, it's, it, there's a change in mentality. You mm -hmm. know, if you go back 20 years ago, uh, you'd better be careful. You're taking your own, you, you know, your, your, your life in your own hands if you cross the street because people just didn't stop. And it wasn't the laws. The laws were there then. They're still there today. It was the same laws. You were supposed to stop for a pedestrian, right? Uh, pedestrians always have this way of right. But guess what? 20 years ago, it was a dangerous thing to get on the street and, and cross crosswalks. Today, most of them, same laws, most of them stop and let you cross the street. So More civilized, huh? Yeah, people's mentality. It's, it's a slow change, but it's happening. Yeah. It is happening. Yeah. And, and before, exactly. before we jump to Edgar, one more question for you. Uh, as far as the kids going to Armenia, now, how were they as far as till today? Because they're now 26, 23, and yeah. 18. 18, <clears throat> correct? 26, 24, I guess. Yeah, they were nine years old, seven years old, and seven months old. Okay. So, yeah, 18, so 18, 24, Language-wise, what's spoken at home? Armenian, correct? Of course. Now, which dialect of Armenian? Well, <laughs> both. Because obviously the kids went to school there. And them going to school there, obviously they're going to speak more, you know, uh, West Western, Eastern, Ar Eastern Armenian, correct. correct. Eastern Armenian. But, you know, dad's dialect and mom's dialect, I'm assuming, is more Western Armenian. I mean, what, what, you it's know, it's an assumption. Let's yeah. ask. Is so, your yeah, again, is your wife's dialect? Assumption. Yeah. We speak Western Armenian at home, but everybody's Armenian. Everybody's Western Armenian in our family, uh, including mine, especially mine, is uh, basically has migrated towards Eastern Armenian. And my, my buddies, my close friends call me, they, they call my language because, <laughs> <laughs> because I can't speak that well. Western Armenian that well. Yes. I don't write it that well. The fact is I speak and write Arevelahayr and Eastern Armenian better than, than Western Armenian today, uh -huh. but I don't speak neither one of them that well. <laughs> so it's completely distorted. You use both, huh? You use both, basically. Well, we speak Western Armenian <clears throat> with a lot of Eastern Armenian infused in it at home, but anywhere outside of home and or even when I'm on the phone, most of our friends, most of our friends are locals. So we we're, we're not one of those bubble living speaker guys. Oh, yeah. fact which is, is something very guy. weird when we're they repat back to Armenia, yet they refuse to mix in with the locals. How does that make sense? You go into these repat groups, and they're only willing to mingle with repats. Okay. I'm like, so what? Why would you move back? What's a repat? It, repat, repat. people that move back to Armenia basically from different places of the world repatriate bro repatriate oh, so there's actually a actually a couple of years back there was a Facebook group uh, page that came up repat uh, repat Armenia and a lot of people joined I joined a lot of people joined I'm a member as well repat yeah. or repath repat, repat. No repat. yeah patriot so and there's people repatriate. from everywhere I mean there's and then there was questions like people that wanted to move back like for me I had kids I had at the time, I had two girls, so I was at, I would ask like, "How is the school?" Because that was my main concern. I'm like, my kids are raised in this, you know, history. For example, they learn in English. If I go to Armenia, how are they going to learn? But then I found people there in that repat group. There was people from uh, Australia, Armenians. The parents didn't speak Armenian. Kids didn't speak Armenian, and they moved back to Armenia. 
I'm like, I lived in Armenia. I speak Armenian. My kids, I mean, even though it's English kind broken of broken Armenian, broken, yeah, but they it's speak Armenian. It, and I'm, I'm nervous about it. These yeah, people just went off like that. And you're nervous about it. You haven't moved yet. Yeah. You yeah. See, this it. is this is why I wanted to. Vegan made the jump 20 years ago. Yeah. You're thinking about making the jump. I don't want to talk about it anymore because uh, you just. I don't want to talk about it. Anymore. I just you're beating a dead horse. <laughs> yeah. So you're basically back. jumping, and you're hoping there's there's the a parachute went, inside inside the backpack. Yeah, so the first time I went back to Armenia was 2002. Okay. 2002, I was what 20. And at the time, you had been here for 11 years. 11 years. And you married kids? Anything? No. No, single. It was me. Yeah, me, my cousin, and my friend. Oh, the three of us. We went. People here were like, "Oh, you guys are getting going there to get married." I'm like, "No, we're just going as tourists. We haven't been there. I'm gonna go back." Naturally. So 2002, we went back. We enjoyed it. Whatever. Uh, Tell you this, I I went to Razan where I was born. Still, the water was on a timey thing. So when I took a shower in that with a bucket and everything, that was the best thing for me. That memories. Really, it's like memories. It was memories, but it was? it was like I don't know. It was a different feeling. So when I came back, I went into the shower and took a shower, started crying like a little kid. I was like, man, I don't know. Like, Are you serious? Yeah, I cried for two days. I was crying. When I was taking. I was. I was thinking maybe you were relieved. Like holy shit! No, finally, no, there's water. I was crying. I was crying. <laughs> I was like, I want to go back. I don't want this. You keep doing the bucket showers. You know you, don't have you, know you could. You go to home. There's a Home Depot. <laughs> Get a big bucket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So from that day on, I was like, I want to move back. But then I was like, what, twenty? Oh, 23 years old. So I'm like, okay, if I go back like this, I know it's going to be tough for me. Even though I know the language, I can get a job work, but I wanted to set up to be comfortable, as you say it, you know? like He so wanted to set something up before yeah, you so went. So then I was like, I planned it ahead and I did what I had to do here, whatever. Working. He's, he's being modest property, right now, guys. <laughs> working, buying property, renting it out. So I had that comfortable, I want to say, the income coming in from the US to move back. But then uh, in 2000, and again, every year I went back and forth. Uh, I met my wife there. So eventually the 2002 trip that people were saying, you're going to get married, it became true. So, <laughs> Oh, you brought your wife from Armenia? Yeah. Oh, so wow. I went back in 2005. Not just I, Armenia, Harazdan, I'm guessing. No, Mukhchan. Oh, okay. Well, one of my friend's cousin lived in Mukhchan. So we, everywhere we went, we all went through the three of us together. So we went there and I saw her there. And then years later, I went back and... <laughs> Long story short. She was still there. <laughs> so yeah, long story short, we got married 2005, six. At the time, I didn't know vegan. I mean, I had my friends. I had to have family there. And I would go back every year. And every year I would go back, I'm like, I want to buy a house. I want to buy a house. I mean, I never bought it. And the prices kept going up. So 2008, August, or was it? Yeah, 2008, August, when the crash happened here, basically. And for a living, I do loans here. So I had an office in Sherman Oaks. That was the days that would, the banks would change loans every day. So you tell a person, yeah, you're qualified for, to buy a house. And the next day it was like, no, I can't do it anymore. So I'm like, screw this. I closed the office, took all the furniture to my garage. And I said, I'm out. I'm out to Armia. So I went there for about almost a month and a half, two months. This was on August 20th. I remember the exact date. So I went to, actually, I went to Moscow for 10 days because my friends were, come here, come here. So I went there. They were like, buy a house here. I'm like, no, there's no way I'm moving to Moscow. I don't need anything here. Sundays was the worst day of that life in Moscow. So I went to Armenia. I didn't even tell my cousin. I went there. A friend came, picked me up. I felt like I was home. I'm like, man, after I visited Moscow and I went to Armenia, I was like, this is home for me. I don't want to be anywhere else but here. So I'm like, and I told my friend, I need to buy a house. I know it's expensive. I know the crash happened in the U.S. and it's going to trickle down to, you know, all the 
third world countries, but I don't care. And the prices were high at the time. And Vegan sold me an expensive house at the time. So, yeah. <laughs> so anyway. Double charge them. Yeah. So I went Double through. We started looking for houses. Went to a lot of new constructions, this, that. A lot of people I met. When you say a lot of people that lie, you know, and they think just because you came from the U.S., you don't know anything. You know, I just, they think you're just, you're living in a All serials, bumble dreams. world. You know, you don't know anything, but they're smart. So like, okay, okay, okay. Anyways, one day I was, we were driving. I told my friend, I'm like, you see those buildings? I like that area. It's away from the main, main center where it's traffic, but it's also like right next to it. So we drove over there and I asked. The, they're like, well, we don't know what the owner of these buildings are. So we were driving. There was a little sign there said, had a little cartoon picture of a building. And there was a phone number. So I went downstairs. We ate food. I called. And we got picked up. I don't know him. He's like, how'd you get the information? I'm like, well, we drove by. There was a sign, and I don't. said that. Yeah, yeah, I remember exactly what you said. <laughs> so now you remember. Like, like, had, he, had he adapted to the Armenian culture there, as far as like being aggressive, super yeah, aggressive? Golakan, like, Golakan, who Golakan gave changed. you the number? No, he was a Golakan. Apparently, by that time, I was already Golakan. <laughs> he was a Golakan. He was a Golakan, but he was, he was a local. He had his thing. So I, I'm like, okay, he's like, okay, come, I want to meet you. So we went there. We go, we talk. He, I had to give him my biography, basically, who I am, because he wanted to make sure I'm a good person, because he was going to live in that building, too. Mm. He wanted to make sure I was a smart. He's right. Yeah. Otherwise, he was not going to sell the Your local to me. HOA, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, he's like, well, go and look at the building. I'm like, can we look? Actually, my friend. He's like, can we look? Mestrop, you met him the other Yes, day. I met him, too. So I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, you have to wear a hard hat. Hard hat. I'm like, okay. And I told my friend, like, this guy is like a communist, you know? <laughs> so if he's asking, this is the first place that actually told us to put a heart at. No, was it in else. construction or? It yeah, was a construction yeah, site. Yeah, it's still a construction ah, site. Okay. Mind but you, he's an engineer, dangerous. civil yeah. engineer, yeah. right? You yeah. said. Yeah. Mechanical. Mechanical. There you go. I got to ask you, how, what does that hat protect you from? But we'll get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wondered. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's as useful as the mask. So <laughs> I put the heart at and I tell my friend, I'm like, this guy's a communist, but hey, this is the only one that was strict. And then on the rib bars the crowbars he had all those safety protections i'm like if he's doing this spending all this extra money for this that means he's doing the job right most likely because everywhere else we go they're like oh go to the eight, eighth floor you go there my friend was like just back up don't fall down we would just walk over there i'm like okay with him it was like no this is this this now you gotta go and i'm like okay whatever it is i want to buy it here because i know he's doing it the right way the right way and then that's how we met and then uh, we negotiated our deal and i bought a a future condominium unit in his project that he was going to build. And then we kind of like met like that. And then we just... And this was what year again? 2008. Eight. Okay. So 14 years ago. Yeah. It's pretty much the same time I met Ed. Pretty much the... That's, yeah, more or less. Yeah. Yeah, 2008, 2009. And 2008, you were, you were married. Yeah. You were married. I was married. My wife was here. Uh, I had one is kid the, already. My child was born. Is the condo built now or still? Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, because you said you were working on it. Too. That's, that's a different one. I'll explain. Oh, you. it's a different one. Okay. At that point, Vegan would be so a terrible again. project manager if it's not built today. You're talking about 24 years. <laughs> Horrible guest to be here. I'm just hey, he took all the money. It did take a long time because <laughs> if you know him, if you get to yeah. know him, he doesn't pay bribes. He's, yeah, um, hopefully by the short info that he gave you. So there's obviously Armenia. It's third world country, just like any other third world country. You pay, you get your stuff done faster. And you don't do Paperwork-wise? Everything. Anything. Forever, huh? Construction. Anything has to do with that. Second of all, he didn't use any Turkish product. 
and in Armenia, construction materials, almost there. everything was Turkish. And it was hardcore that I'm not going to so use So what, what do you use? Like European or Chinese? Well, the policy was and still is today. Been that way for all my life. If I can use an Armenian product, meaning the can means that the product has to be available and has to be decent quality. It almost doesn't matter what the price is. But if it's available, because a lot of things are not, not a lot of things yeah. are not made in Armenia. Yeah. But if it is made in Armenia and if it's an accept, acceptable quality, then I will use it. I won't look anywhere else. If it isn't available, then I will use whatever else I believe is the right choice. But no matter what, I will not use Turkish. I mean, I, I, there's no way I'll use any t- Turkish products. Yeah. Turkish is out. So that was my policy for not only that construction project, but just about anything else that we do. Our organization, Support Our Heroes, has the same policy. It's always been that way for us. So yeah, so that's uh, basically took how long? Like five years until the building was kind of finally finished. The opening, I wasn't there for the opening. My cousins went for the opening. But yeah, but then the, every time I would go, I would stay there. Got to know him a little more. We started talking. We became a little more friends. How often were you in Armenia? At the time, I would go every, at least once a year. By, by yourself or with the family? Well, the family. At least once a year. I would and how, how did the kids take it as well? Because you, you said you had... They adapted, bro. Every summer, he took You had kids. three girls, right? Yeah. So I have a 14-year-old now, an 11-year-old, a 4-year-old, and a 2-month-old. Almost two months. Four kids. Four so, kids. Uh, None of them were born in Armenia, though. No, no. Uh, See, I think I feel like for your fourteen-year-old daughter, we struggle with it. We I think I think it. it'll be, I think it'll be the toughest. You'll be choice. surprised. But I, I'll tell you this: this year when we were there, actually this year because my wife was pregnant, and I was like, okay, stay, don't come. So I took my two older daughters. We went there. I took them to Jambar. Uh, was it camp? Camp? camp yeah. <clears throat> took them to Jambar for seven days. So I took them to Jambar for seven days. Where? I, Where? Uh, towards Hong Kong, there's jumpers. Close to Tzachka, It's like seven there. nights. It's all just kids. Yeah. Like. So I took them to uh, there. Like a then, kids camp? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Like a uh, summer camp. Summer yeah, camp for yeah. kids. So I took them there, obviously, English, uh, American raised kids. I took them there. Most of the kids were like from villages, different places in the camp. I left them there for seven. In the beginning, they were like, whatever, nervous. Then I went and did my work because at the time I was actually doing uh, some work in my school. I was building a library there so kind of like it was good because they were there and i was doing back and forth running around doing my construction work so we went to it was varty uh, so me and my friend we went to pick him up like oh we don't want to come I'm like what I'm like we're gonna go to the same one with the family and everything with the cousins some of my cousins uh, came as tourists over there too we're like oh do we have to come we have to do a hike to go to there's a monastery up on the mountain like, no, I know I want you to go, but you have to come with us. So I took him there. So we went to Seven, we did the Varti or whatever, went back. The next day we were supposed to go pick him up. And we called the head. So we were like, oh, tomorrow we're going to come pick him up. And then my kids were like, can we stay more? I'm like, okay. I'm like, what do you mean you want to stay more? You want to stay more? Like, yeah, please. We want to be met friends. We have friends, this, that. So we went back. We're like, we talked to the director. And the director is a friend of my friend. He's like, they want to stay three days longer, so we'll pay for the day. He's like, no, don't worry about it. Like, don't even worry about the three days. They want to stay, let them stay. I'm like, okay. So they stay three more days. So when you're saying, like, how's the older one? There's parts that she's going to miss a lot, a lot of things. I know there's, there's things. She's, sometimes she cries. We talk about it, she cries. It's hard. But <clears throat> if you're there, 
it's a short, and I'm, uh, I brought that example about the Australian people, or the Armenian, I don't want to call it Australian, Armenian that were born in Australia, they didn't speak the language. When I talk to those people, they're like, this is the best thing, our kids are happy, it was tough for the first two months, three months, then there was nothing. And then, uh, and then this trip that we did, and we did that camp, and they had friends, we came back, wibering, talking to friends over there. I felt like if you're there, slowly they're going to adapt to it. I mean, when we came here, we all came here. How we all had, I had a hard time adapting I came here. here, I was out over there, and I was on sports. Every day I was on my own, and the pendant came here. They're like, well, my uncle was like, well, I have to take you to school in the car, bring you back. I'm like, what the hell? I feel like a prisoner here. So we, I hated it here for the first two, three months yeah, until yeah. slowly I got adapted to it. So I'm thinking it's going to be the same thing. It is going to be hard. I mean, I know it's going to be hard for them, but if they want to go to, and then I talked to him about his kids. I said, Vegan, how'd you do it? So they went to high school over there. They graduated and they study here now. They're in UC San Diego, San Diego State. So yeah. if they want to continue their education in the States, that's fine. They can come. And then Are, are you choice. planning on moving just like your immediate family, meaning your wife and kids or, Dad, or, or no siblings? That is parents? still uh, undecided. Yeah, he's like, I'll come six months and then I'll come back here six months. So, I don't blame. Yeah, because I mean, he's all his. I don't have any family members. There. Dad, Dad doesn't want to spend the winters in Armenia. That's yeah, exactly. Winter what is good. Is. I'll tell you this: for Armenia, the worst time to be in Armenia. Some contradict me, but it's from January twelfth to March eighth, because that's bad. when they take all the decorations of the New Year's Christmas away. That's when it's cold. It's emptiness. It's empty. Brown. Until March Everything's 8th, brown. Bro. With Nagali, that's when people wake up and start buying flowers and life March starts. March 8th is well, the yeah. women's day. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, and I, and people were telling me like, oh, you always go in the summer and it's good and you enjoy it. I'm like, okay, just for that, I'm going to go in the winter. So I went to the winter, like the worst months, three years in a row. And I was like freezing. That was the one time that like all the pipes were piping because it was negative 25 Celsius. You're talking year yeah. It's not that cold. Well, I don't care. I you want cold, go to Gimby. No, I know. That's cool. I live in yeah, Vosgen, so I know remember the picture of Vosgen recently posted from Gimri? The, everything's frozen. So there, it's true because no? my in-laws say you know, Gimri was a different type of cold. And it's freezing Because it's cold. flat. <laughs> it's humid and it's windy. Flat and it's windy. It's, it's, like, it's like Chicago cold. It makes it colder. It's like yeah. Chicago cold. Yeah. So when the, when the wind hits you, it, it doesn't just hit your skin. <laughs> it, it goes through. all yeah, the way to the skin, bones. muscles, bone, nerves, everything. He's experienced it. I gotta try. So I had my condo in his unit, and I had a kid, one kid. We enjoyed it. Then I had my second kid, so I would go sleep on the couch because it's a one bedroom condo. So then I, I'm like, it is not working out. So, so I went and bought a house. A single family dwelling. Yeah, a single family yeah. house. Not a house that I wanted, but it was there. My friend called me. He's like, the guy's going bankrupt. He's going to give it to the bank for this much money. And I'm like, okay, I'll pay him five thousand more than the bank, so at least he makes some money. Yeah. But I bought that. I remodeled it slightly. And I, when we went back, I would stay there. Yerevan again. It's right outside of Yerevan. Like when you go to, when you're driving to Abogan, as soon as you get on the freeway, you want to it, on well. the left side, basically, there's, it's right there. So it's, I can walk to Yerevan, basically. Uh, but my wife was not like, I don't like this house. I'm like, you lived in Mokshan, and now you're telling me you don't like this house? Like, you had a, you know, two-bedroom, three-bedroom, one-bath house there, you have to go to one. Like, well, oh. three-bedroom, there is, Including the living room. No, no, no. this was a three-bedroom, actual three-bedroom bedroom and a living okay. room. See, vegans, kids. You said two of your boys are here studying, right? Yeah, they're uh, they graduated UC San Diego and now they're going to Georgia Tech, but they're doing it remotely. Okay. And uh, are they, they are they in the engineering field like like pops? They're both computer science majors. Okay. Makes sense. <laughs> AI, See, machine learning. 
opportunity obviously here is is as far as education wise is a lot much sure. is a lot better than it is in Armenia. Yeah, I mean, can. sad to say, but I mean, it's the truth. It's the truth. Let's say, for example, you know, I think that's for another ten years. Yeah. Having and again, I'm being. This is kind of like I guess it's a it's a cultural thing, but you know, letting your boy kind of go off to college is a little bit different than having your girl go off to college, especially in the Armenian culture when it's outside of California, even. But but in their case, I mean, no, 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 I know, more I know. people in California than they do. In no, Armenia. I know, I know, but see. <laughs> Uh, vegans, vegans, boys. It's like okay, you know what? You're you're going to the states. It's fine. They're boys. They'll Stop take care of them. Sexist. Though. I know it is. It's a cultural. No, it thing. is. It is true. It's it's the truth, yeah, man. So imagine imagine your daughters, bro. How are you? How are you, how would you feel? I'm gonna send my kids to college. You see, but Definitely. but Both not ev- not every not every one of them is like that. You so if your daughter turned around and said, uh, "Dad, I want to go to Florida." Sure. Shit, I'll go with you. No, 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 Let's no, no. Uh, I'm going. Don't to... scare me like that. Come on. <laughs> again, it's it's again. Don't it's, tease it's a... me with the good time. Yeah, don't tease me. It's with... a culture thing. Like, are are you prepared? Have you prepared yourself for that as well? Kind of. I'm working on myself too. Believe me, I, since 2002, I'm. Boy, you working guys think preparing for everything? Every not not everything you, you schedule prepare, happens, bro. The more you prepare, the more nervous you get. Yeah. And How not, long have you been preparing? <laughs> 20, years. 20 years. <laughs> Since I met Ed. That's why I don't want to talk about it anymore because I kind of feel like I'm just lying to myself. And the people, and people around are, you. And the people are telling me, yeah, 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 you're just talking. So it's like, well, I'm not going to say anything. I mean, I know I'm talking to everybody. Nobody's watching. No, no, don't but worry. No one's watching. I don't want right to talk now. about it anymore until I make my move. And I'm like, okay, I told you guys. Just like I told you, proved you wrong every time. I'm going to prove you wrong also. And it's not just that I want to because... I'm at a point in my life here in the States where, again, before I went to Moscow, I used to say, ah, American love tree, it was not good. After I went to Moscow, I'm like, American shot love tree. It gave me everything. It gave me opportunity. It gave me everything. I can't turn a blind eye into it, you know? But when I go to me, I don't know. Like, again, I was saying, it's a different feeling. I feel like I'm home. I feel like I'm, I can fly. There's you, a lot of bad things there, believe me. Bro, the it's dirt like, under your feet it just feels different. It just you feel, you take your step a little more assured than you do here. I guess I haven't been back as an adult, so that feeling you don't know yet. I've yeah. never experienced. Uh, a, I've been there as a twelve-year-old. I went back, but I've never yeah. been there. Preteen, yeah, right? Like preteen. For me, people when people <clears> tell me, "Oh, you should go see Europe. You should see this museum," I'm like. Man, I'm taking vacations to Armenia. Like, yeah. I don't care about Europe. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, maybe that's not right. Maybe I'm not an artistic <laughs> person. That's why. But for me, none of that yeah, matters. Edgar was ready to move right before the war. I know. You know we've talked. talked me, me and Ed have been talking about he this. He came to me for advice. I think they have. God. This is their their phone sex conversation. <laughs> hey, what are you doing? So I'm thinking about well, Me and Ed have been talking what about this doing? since I'm 2009. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like the village. So like let me give you guys a little backstory. First, thank everybody from Sunday Soccer. They wanted you to give a shout out as well. Oh, yeah. Me and Ed have been playing soccer Sundays since 2009. <laughs> and every Sunday after the game, me and him, you know, five, ten minutes just cuddle under the tree, talk about our <laughs> yeah. Hey, don't you wish we can be in we Armenia swing right now? <laughs> <laughs> but it's just been something like, me and him have in common and then that brings us level of respects towards one another yeah. that you just we didn't know each other me and him started playing soccer out of nowhere but yeah. we found something in common together that that homeland feel to armenia we have in common and i just always had a conversation with that so i go to are, him for advice are all you the time. back on the 
I've, wagon I'm ready. I, I can't convince my wife. So that's what my next uh, question was going to be. But, How but did she this... was convinced before the of war. Of course, yeah. But now, now no. Now, no. But uh, so let's talk about vegan. Same... How does that go? How does that transition happen with the wife? You say, hey, honey, I'm thinking of going to live in Armenia. Jesse, if you're watching this, turn it off for like 15 minutes. <laughs> She's watching, I'm sure. <laughs> Go ahead, Megan. Well, the reality is it was not a, a single-day decision or a single-day move. We, I worked on it for years. I mean, I, the decision, I basically made a decision, a pact with myself to, to move to Armenia in 2001. And it was a five-year plan. And by the, before the end of the fourth year, we moved. Because the reason I moved it up because I was concerned about my kids getting too old and having too many memories, and uh, attachment, attachment. Five year memories. plan meaning here, not a five year plan in Armenia. No, five year plan here. Here. Okay. So we were supposed to move, basically end of two thousand six, but we moved early May two thousand five. And the reason I moved it up is because I was concerned about my kids having too many memories in the U.S. And memories are what brings you back. It's you know it's nostalgia and. And, uh, you know, everything, everything feels sweeter when you grow older and you go back and think of what you did five years ago or 10 years ago and it just feels sweeter, although it might have not been yeah. that sweet yeah. at the time. So I want to make sure that <clears throat> that the U.S. doesn't leave that kind of feel and, and uh, sentiment in their in their hearts. And uh, I, I can practically say that 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 I was successful in that because my kids don't really have any attachments. Uh, outside of Armenia. To them, that's their home country. They grew up in that country. Their friends are there. Everything in Armenia is, is you know, uh, natural to them. And and, uh, and I don't, I won't, and I know I don't have to, but I certainly hope that they will go back once they finish their studies and, you know, raise some capital for starting their own lives there. And I know they will. I believe they will. I don't want to be cocky about it. What if they I don't? don't. What if they don't? Will it's their lives. To you you know what? I wasn't born in Armenia. I was born yeah. in Lebanon. I lived in the U.S. for the better part of my life. So, and I went back. So there's a time for everything, and I believe that whatever's in their heart is what's important to me. And, and uh, I'm feeling pretty confident that eventually they will. Exactly when they do that, it's their choice. It's their decision. And uh, the younger no one is still in Armenia. He's in Armenia. He's graduating this year, and he is not coming here for studies. He's going to be going to the American University of Armenia. So he's staying there for school, for higher education. Uh, my two older ones, because he's also doing computer science, and I thought this is stupid. You know, computer science is computer science. It it really is. We have a pretty good computer science bachelor's program in the, at the AUA now. We didn't at the time. Yeah. Uh, generally, the, the graduate <coughs> AUA was a graduate school up yeah. until a few years ago. So now they've got a pretty well established. Um, undergraduate, undergraduate program. program and computer science which is part of the school of engineering is pretty well known and it's well accepted and it is actually accredited by the western school association here in, in california so it is I, I believe a pretty well put together program and i looked into it and the program manager the, the uh, dean of the school of engineering is a good buddy of mine so we talked several times we met up and uh, i think it, it's a good choice i don't i don't think he needs to come here to study computer science if it was yeah. You know, medical or something, medical school, I think he would have to come because uh, there are a lot of fields in Armenia, uh, college level. That that's strange again because I've, I see people Indians. from India coming to Armenia to get their education in medicine. Medicine? Story. Medical, yeah. I do. India, Indian. Syria, 
Arab countries. Of course, Egypt. I thought it was more tech, techy wise as far as no, moving to for Armenia. school. For no, medical school, bro. Really? Medical school in Armenia, bro. It's not. No, that's a different. There's a different. Yeah. about it with Dr. Mutafi. I remember but, he studied in Armenia, Russia, and here. Yes. It's, I mean, you're talking about people in India that for them it's much more affordable to cheaper. go to Armenia than it is here. Oh, that's different. For medical yeah, school. On a, on a, but there's a reason why they come to Armenia. No, it's not. The, it's not the financial side of it mostly. It's the fact that they just can't get into schools. I mean, higher education, universities and colleges in yeah. India are unbelievably impacted. You just can't get in. Of there's course, no chance of getting in. 1.6 mil- billion people. Yeah, I mean, you, there's no chance of getting into medical school in India. So if you want to be a, a doctor, you go to a country and and, if, and they cannot afford to go to the U.S. They can't get the visa. Yeah. They can't afford to finance it. So they come to, to Armenia. Uh, it's a decent medical school. It's not, you know, but if you want to be a, you know, top Specialist. level doctor, then yeah. yeah, the U.S. is still the place. So there are certain majors like computer science is still uh, in Armenia. I think we've got a, and the reason is not just the higher education. It's not just the fact that the AUA and generally the the uh, public schools are getting good at it. It's because the industry is getting better at it. So in the past ten years, the uh, IT industry has has basically taken some major leaps, and uh, we're pretty much at the same level as most international IT industries. So uh, we do things, and there are some fields in the IT sector, like the AI and machine learning, that we're not there yet. But we're working on it, and we're getting there. there. So in the next five years, chances are we'll catch up in those in those fields as well. So, but generally, web development, uh, back end, front end, uh, we're there. You know, Armenia is not falling behind uh, in the U.S. or any advanced Western country when it comes to IT. Have Have you had a discussion with your boys let's say as far as because they still have cousins here right in the u.s in la i presume probably. yes have you ever had a discussion with them or have they opened up to you about whether they have any regrets regrets um of of you moving because at the time obviously they didn't have a choice now they have a choice to live anywhere they want of, of you moving them to armenia where they feel looking at their cousins that maybe they, they think to themselves, we didn't have the life that my cousins have or grew up with, or they think the other way around that. I'm glad I'm happy. My parents took us to Armenia. We had a better childhood, a better upbringing than my cousins did in LA. Have you ever had that discussion with them as adults? Um, I can tell you this. Um, I've had discussions with them. I'm not the imposing kind of father. Never have been. And, uh, one day I decided to go to school. Sure. I, I didn't tell them what, what to major in, and I didn't tell them where to go. I just I was a guide more than anything else. Um, at the same time, I'm I just they're my kids, and I I'm hoping that I'm speaking the truth here. I think I know what they think and what they feel. So there's no doubt in my mind that Armenia is their home. They feel that way. Um, they live that way. So to them. Uh, their time in the U.S. is borrowed time. Yeah, they're Armenians, uh, native Armenians. They were not born there, but they feel native. So Armenia is their homeland, and it's not just the spiritual homeland; it's the actual country. It's their country. Remember at the beginning of our conversation, I said Armenia was they, not was my homeland, but it was not my country because I wasn't yeah, yeah. I wasn't familiar with the country. Um, but to them, Armenia is not only their homeland; it's also their country, which I'm I'm fortunate to to have my kids think that way you know i i'm i feel proud because i in so many ways i made that happen because i wanted that country i wanted the homeland to be a country as well for them 
Um, I was born and raised in a foreign country. So to me, my childhood memories come from a country that I don't really associate with nationally speaking. I still have a lot of you know memories in Lebanon from my childhood, but I feel bad because I, I always wish my childhood memories were from Armenia uh, and I can't remake all those memories. So in, in so many ways, I wanted my kids to have those memories. I wanted them to have their first love in Armenia and they did. And that to me is, as uh, you know, it's the world for me. And it's, it's for up to them. It's up to them to decide where they want to live their lives, how they want to live their lives. I believe that Armenia is in their heart, not only as a homeland, but also as their country. And uh, I hope they go back. And I think they will. They tell me they will. I talk to them once in a while. And they tell <laughs> me and they tell while. others they will. Well, it's not, I'm, I'm careful about imposing myself. Because Mike, when I ask, when, when you ask a question to your kids, it's, it's never a question. Because there's always a meaning in it. And they get that meaning. They get the, uh, they understand what they want when, they, when you ask them a question. They, they know what answer you want, you want to hear from them. So it, put, it puts pressure on them. So I, I don't want to ask them. Because I can, I cannot ask. I'm not a bystander. I'm it a, is I'm a, a not not too much parental overreach, basically. At this point, you just want to kind of let them make their own decision. And I mean, I, I can tell from your body language, from your voice, that you want them to finish and you want them to move back. But at the same time, there's the kind of uncertainty in you as well that they may they may stay. Of course, there is. Um, it's not the uncertainty, but it's the fact that <clears throat> this country has a lot to offer. And people people have asked me, a lot of people over the years have asked me in Armenia, oh, yeah, you, you left the U.S. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a stupid country and it's, you know, um, it's so much better in Armenia. I, I laugh at him. I said, no, 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 it's not a stupid country. It's a great country. And offer them, a, and offer them a free visa. Look how actually, they'll, they'll go. There you go. Yeah, they'll pack actually, up their bags in the I first hour. I never left the U.S. because I didn't like the U.S. I love the U.S. And I got a lot of friends here. And, and, and it's a great country. And it's it's a country where people, where opportunities are so much easy, easily created than in, in most of the countries that I know of. I have friends in, in Europe and Western other Western countries. I certainly have friends in the Middle East, too. And, and I don't know a country that gives you this much opportunity. So I'm grateful for that, and I think people should be. So we should never chastise the U.S. because the fact is that it's a great country, but it's not my homeland, and um, and so it doesn't matter how good it is. Um, sometimes there's a lot of things in the U.S. that I wish we had in Armenia, and I work on on the fact that you know I want us to have those good traits that, that you know the good sides of the u.s and yeah. there's a lot of things i don't like about the u.s and uh, i love about armenia that we don't have here in the u.s that you know you guys don't have here in the u.s so i want us to have i want us to have the good of everything in armenia and we got to work on that in 20 years 17 years that you've been there and you're an educated man successful engineer right have you been able to implement um or maybe not you personally but local government or agencies to implement any ideas that you've taken from the U.S.? Um, the, well, whether that be policies or protocols or safety measures or anything related to your industry, have you been able to take anything over there for them to be receptive of it and actually implement it or write it into, let's say, their codes, their laws, their regulations, whatever they have over there? 
not formally, not formally because uh, I've never, I've had the opportunity to numerous times over the years and I've always been shy of, and when I say shy, I don't mean literally, but I've always been shy of, of, of getting involved in governance and politics. And a lot of my friends chastise me for that. They tell me that I should and, and I need it and all that. But I, I just don't feel like I could be efficient in government. Um, I'm not, my character doesn't allow me to be very efficient at that. Yeah. At the same time, I do believe in the lead by example principle. And I've watched people around me, including a lot of friends of mine who are in government. Um, and it's, it's funny. I watch them and, I, and, and, and many of them have told me themselves that they've changed by, by spending so much time with me. So I know that we all change. We're animals of change and we all change from each other. You know, Edgar and I have been friends for so many years. I know I've learned, learned so much from him. And unless I stop and think back and you look back, like um, I, I won't realize it. But yeah. sometimes we stop and, and, and take a deep breath and, and we need to do that once in a while. And, and we realize, look, you know, we, we have learned from each other. And um, because I'm, I'm different than, you know, I've been different than the locals when I, especially when I first landed. And I try and be different in the sense that uh, I try and be like everybody else when it comes to being a good person and being an Armenian. But I don't, I never want to, you know, uh, sacrifice um, everything that's in me that sh I should, that I owe to my country. In other words, I don't, I don't want to be like everybody else just because I need to be like everybody else. I don't feel the need for that. And there's a lot of things that I've, that I've taken with me to Armenia, my personality, my education, and I want to give that. So, and I don't, my style is not to do it directly. I, I do it by example. So I know that people watch what I do and, and learn. And I, I learn myself every day. So um, I've learned how to be a better friend. I've learned how to be a better person. Uh, I've learned how to be a better, better patriot. You know, it, it's, it's, um, it's easy to love Armenia from a distance. Very easy. Um, there's been times when my friends and I, my Spukai friends and I have, have basically told ourselves or each other in a non-serious way, wasn't it better when you loved Armenia from a distance? There was no hardships. There was no problems. Now you're in Armenia all these years and, and you're going through these hardships and you're feeling the pain, even if it isn't yours, it becomes yours. If you feel the pain, if you feel, if you live with the locals and especially if you're active like I am. Um, so in so many ways, um, you know, we, we, we need to be active people like ourselves, like Edgar, we need to be active in Armenia. We can't just, uh, do the coffee shop scene and, and the restaurant scene. We can do that. We have the ability, the finances, the time to do all that, but we need to be out there and it doesn't have to be governance. It doesn't, we don't have to be a minister. Um, and I'm not even sure if being a minister would be effective for me because I'm not sure I could survive in that environment. Yeah. Um, the political <clears throat> environment in Armenia, I, all, I always say this, it's not, there is no political environment in Armenia. Politics is not there yet. So, and I'm, I was raised and I went to school here and, and higher, you know, higher education for me was, was mostly about more than just academic. It was also about management and being efficient at what I do. So a lot of what's done in government in Armenia is extremely inefficient and it just really bothers me. And sometimes it's mind boggling how inefficient they are. And uh, so for me, sometimes being outside of government is, is better, it, you know, allows me to do more and provide better guidance to the locals than just going out there and having a title and being a minister or anything else. Not that I'm qualified to yeah. be a minister. I'm not saying I am, but 
But the fact is that you don't have to be in government, especially in a country like like Armenia. You know, you don't. We shouldn't think like the U.S. because uh, guys like us, people like us, aren't necessarily good at it because uh, we don't know how things work in government in Armenia yet. Uh, it's different. What I was more so referring to is, for example, let's say here, if you're building a hundred unit complex, right? The process you have to go through and the efficiency of it and the safety measures and everything. Because uh, I, I feel like in in our culture, Armenian culture, if you follow all those things, you're considered, you know, like almost... Nerd. <laughs> huh? Yeah, a nerd. Kind of. Even borderline idiot that Bro, there's a sh- shortcut. You're, you're seriously, hey, bro. Yeah. You have no idea. Like I swear, <laughs> you, you, the fact that you just brought up like construction and stuff. Like there was a property in Ajmeratzin that yeah. they were constructing, and they they wanted to sell it because it was like half constructed. So then you know the walls were up, and I was like, okay, so you know, well, where's the bathroom? Where's the kitchen? They go, well, wherever you want it to be. I'm like, I'm like the walls are the walls are I'm like the sewer I'm like well and then I'm like well the walls are up he goes yeah and I go well so I mean is it on a septic tank or is it on a sewer line where, where, where's that it was well wherever you want it to be and I'm like wait a minute wait a minute I'm like listen when when we do construction here you start we start with the cones, we start, we start with the rough plumbing the rough, rough electrical underneath the ground and then once everything is kind of past as far as inspection then we build up they go we, we worry about that later i'm like what do you mean later well if we need be we'll, we'll tear down this wall that wall and i'm like holy shit on that note i want to add this though go ahead like right now i'm building my own house and I sold are you that. standing from the ground up or yeah, so the one your wife didn't like you sold yeah, it. I sold it okay so i sold it i bought a lamp cl- i'm keeping track of his real estate portfolio the condo right yeah uh, the condo we are renting yeah, section yeah. eight Bobcat's living there with seven kids we're yeah, <laughs> not delinquent on the hoa no, no, no. property taxes up to date no leads litigation Actually, um, I am delinquent on the HOA before this year, but it's just only one month. So, so <laughs> okay. There's HOA there. Yeah, no, I didn't know. No, it's a uh, yeah, our building. Yeah, because we have a pool. They do, a, and Vegan's wow. the president of the HOA. <laughs> <laughs> I want to speak to the vice president. Trust the me. Vice yeah, president. Right. <laughs> Going back to the same topic about the construction. Yeah. Uh, when he says lead by example, uh. When you go see construction, you tell people this, right? First of all, we don't know anything about anything. I came from the U.S. I have no idea what construction is. That's Most of the time, that's the mentality they have. But when you start building something and you say, no, I want it this way, and you start doing it and they see it, then they realize it. Like, oh, like the plumbing that I did. I'm like, oh, I want this. I build a trench under the house. So so if I need to go under, I can go on a crawling space. Basically. Crawl space, yeah. Crawl yeah. Space. Well, over there, they don't have... No, if it's, it's just slab, concrete it's slab, slab bro. So you you got to remove the slab. Yeah, that's what I was telling him. Like, you to gotta... change it. <laughs> so yeah, when they did the concrete, I told my friend, I said, no, I said, I need a crawl space. At least wherever the plumbing line is, I need a crawl space. They're like, you sure? I'm like, it's not going to happen. I'm like, I don't care if it's not going to happen. Probably won't, nothing will happen for 100 years. But I want it. It's my house. I want it. So we made a hole there. We made a right tractor. Made a nice. I feel like it's actually a better trench than the... Anyhow, okay, okay, yeah. no, let's not right. get into that. <laughs> so, anyways, I did that. So they saw that and they realized that it's a good idea. So that already opens their eyes up. And general things like that, small things you do, like the bathrooms, you go, they remodel, they do 
20 different tiles, colors, this, that. You go in there, you're like, what the, where am you I? You get confused, bro. Yeah. You can't even so urinate when properly. Like, <laughs> when I you can't that, even empty properly. Yeah, so when I bought that single family house and I was remodeling the bathroom and I brought a tile, I'm like, this is how I want it. I want drywall, I want this, this. No, it's a bathroom. We should have all tiles. I'm like, I don't want all tiles. Like, this is bad. Like, you argue. It's like a powder room. It's like yeah. a tile and all that. It's like no one's showering in here. Tile <laughs> even even all my up. best friend, Mestro. I've <laughs> seen him here, too. It's like, all oh, wall, yeah. wall. It's all tile, ceiling. Yeah. Like, Why are you doing this? I'm not stupid. After I was done, it's like, oh, this is they're cheaper and it's nicer. Simple, it's nice. nice. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, go to your bathroom. It's like, I go in there, I feel like I'm like, like it's amazing. You, you, know, like, you have a seizure you know? when you walk into yeah. the bathroom. And that's what it is. You see it. And then uh, go on, adding to that, uh, I'm kind of jumping into an area where we'll go back to it again. But uh, last year, I went to my school, my high school. And I, I was always into, like, I coach soccer here, too. I was always into, like, sports. He's not the best soccer player, by the way, <laughs> but he's decent. I'm a good defender. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, I went to my school. I'm like, hey, we had a good physical education we were always the top school what happened it's like the walls are crumbling there's no nothing so i'm like i want to build it up i was like well the there's a anyhow one of the government uh non-profits is going to take on the project and build demo it and build it because it's already you can't remodel it. i'm like okay whatever she's, and she came up to me she's like we never had a library in this school i'm like okay is that is it okay for you like build a library i'm like sure so we decided, me and my friend, uh, and then my friend said, why don't you just put a Facebook thing that whoever graduated from, like the alumni from Das Magdeburgs, whoever wants to donate. Anyhow, some people did, some people didn't, but we started a project. We finished it. it it's very nice. It became vegan, came inside. So anyways, I invited people. I was there. I invited people over. I invited vegan. Vegan was never there in the, in the construction. It was my friend, Nestor, did the whole thing. This was separate from our Support Our Heroes NGO. People came, started talking, talking. When I had to talk, the first thing I did was, you know, the first thing I did, I think vegan. I know nobody knew him in my town. So first of all, I want to think vegan because he opened my eyes. I thought I was doing a lot in Armenia, but compared to what I could have done, I didn't do crap. So I thanked him and people looked at him like, because of him, that attitude changed in me. And even though I know there's a lot of negativity, there's bad things, believe me, even during the opening ceremony, there was still, we had to deal with the, the car carpet, the, the Mars pit, whatever, because invitation, somebody doesn't like the other ones, whatever. And I told him, I said, this is for the city. I don't give a damn what you guys believe in. You guys are going to come, come. You don't want to come, don't come. The first person I think was him. And he was never one day there, but he changed me into doing that, what I had to do. And now I go there and I see kids reading books. And believe me, I'm the last person who reads books. I only read one book in my life. But I will He's still working to... <laughs> on that one book. <laughs> but when I go there, I see kids learning. I thought about it. I said, if you keep complaining about change, change, change in our country, or our people, this, that, it has to happen from the ground up, from the kids. I, if I go to a 20-year-old, 30-year-old, 40-year-old, group of 100 of them, if I try to tell them things, even if I'm right, I might change two of them. But the energy I'll spend on, that hundred percent just was changed too is not worth it. We have to go into our kids, change them into like the IT sector saying it's growing. There's so many young couple now, like my friend has a uh, condo in Yerevan, he's renting it. Young couple, both in the IT kids. I love it. I see, I go see them. I love them. So polite, like they're educated, nice people. Lived in, born in Armenia, lived in Armenia and they're working in Armenia. 
and that's the trend we need. We need to have smart people. We need to educate them. And we did a little ceremony for this, uh, the teachers. I told we went to the, all the schools. We brought the teachers, the best teachers of every school, and we gave them a little gift, a certificate. And I thanked them. I said, the only thing I want I want you guys to do is I'm begging you guys to. I know you guys don't get paid enough, but teach your teach our kids. Because if you want a better EMEA, it has to start from our kids. That's it takes usually about 10, 15 years until culture changes, mentality changes, thinking, thinking habits change. And it's, I know we're far behind, but it has to start somewhere. So, well, well, bettering Armenia, obviously, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of repairing to do after the whole Artsakh war took place. A lot of our boys came back, uh, you know, with PTSD. A lot of them came back missing limbs, injured. Uh, it was kind of like, and we discussed it on the podcast with other guests that we've had. It was like they kind of like almost wiped out two generations in a matter of 45 days. Uh, and you guys are working on a project as well, uh, a nonprofit organization for veterans and of uh, for veterans in Armenia. Can you guys talk about that a little bit? Uh, yeah, uh, I'll start and then we can kind of get into details. Uh, basically, our Vegan, like Vegan said in the beginning, the, he started doing work way before everything. After the Second War uh, in 2016, the four-day war, uh, we started to support our heroes. But it was mainly, it was not an NGO, it was just be, between friends. So he was sending, Vegan was sending out an email, I was like, yeah, we need this, they're lacking this, tents, sleeping bags, whatever it is. And on our website, it has the list of the dates and when we did everything. Whoever can donate anything. So it was just between us, his friends, my friends, his friends' friends. We would just chip in money, get something done. And we started doing it in uh, April 2016 on. We started taking stuff to the, basically to the, for our service members. Uh, in September, and then we, we kept on doing every, it was not, we didn't publicize it, we didn't do anything. Some people actually tell us, like, you guys do all this work, but you don't publicize yourselves, you know, like, people do small things and they make a big deal as well. So, like, we just like to do the work, let people see it, like, lead by example. So, on September 27th, when the war started, actually, I was in the plane, with my wife and my young daughter, four-year-old, and I was asleep, and I heard, like, a couple of Armenian guys talking, I'm like, oh, we hit four tanks. And I woke up, and I'm like, what are they talking about? So, I went on the on the phone, and I saw him, like, oh, our talk there's a war. So we landed in Qatar, and my family members texted me, come back, don't go, there's a war. I'm like, I'm like, crazy. I'm like, anyways. You're halfway I, there. Yeah, I'm like, I'm not coming back. I'm not that person, first of all. Even though my wife and my kids are, I told my wife, I'm like, you guys want to go back? You can go back, and I'll just go alone. Uh, you know, we'll go. So anyways, we went. First thing I did was call again. He didn't answer, and I already knew why not, because he was our talk, knowing him. The night he probably started driving there. So he was there. Three, four days later, he called me. We had a small conversation. And then people started calling me like, hey, we want to donate money. This, this, how do we do it? So I would tell him, I'm like, people want to give money. How do we do this? And it was like, it's too late now. And the sad thing was February of 2020, we can send out an email that we were, we got a little project in Stepanakert, the military hospital on the bottom, to build a rehab center. And send out an email saying, hey, look, we need this is the budget, this is how much we need. So we donated, whatever. I donated too, but now that I'm thinking about it, I didn't I didn't, I didn't give enough. I didn't give anything. I gave it, but I didn't give anything. This was in February, I think you sent the email out. 
then in May, I think you sent the second email. I was like, guys, like we only collected this much, you know, halfway. It's like, we need to do this. And I kind of like, yeah, we this, this, that. And then he started doing the project, financing it himself. Whatever we collected, we've collected, but we can took on the project and then go on and tell the story. So. And that's how the NGO was born? NGO was born in November of 2020 after the work because people started yeah. wanting to donate and people wanted to donate more money because they saw the work we did. And obviously, we were not a nonprofit, so they wanted to write it off on their taxes. Right. So we kind of... Are you a nonprofit in the U.S. or in Now we are. In, in the U.S.? Yeah. In okay. 2020 November is when we actually opened the nonprofit. Basically. And you do have a nonprofit in Armenia as well? Yeah. That's okay. the sister of the yeah. nonprofit here. Basically. Sounds good. I, have you guys ever looked into why, for example, because <laughs> when you tell anybody, look, we need tents, we need gloves, we need binoculars, binoculars and warm you know, beanies and this Whatever and that, is, yeah. right? Rain jackets, raincoats. It's hard for people to fathom, like, why is an individual? You, you guys don't have raincoats and the military doesn't have tents. I mean, you've been there for a long time. Have you ever looked into as far as do we really not have these basic supplies or is it more so that because it was the Artsakh army versus Armenia and Armenia has it, but Artsakh didn't have it. What, what was, where was the, uh, uh, disconnect there? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> when it comes to Artsakh, um, I don't believe whether it's the overall Artsakh region of Armenia or our armed forces in Artsakh, there is at all, not at all any disconnect. Um, Artsakh, our defense forces of Artsakh, officially the Artsakh Defense Army, is a division of the Armenian Army, has always been, still is today. And Artsakh itself is a region of Armenia. Uh, as I said before, it's the, to us, to me, and to many of us, to all of us, I guess, it's the dearest to our heart region of Armenia and the most critical, critically important region of Armenia. Having said all that, Arsakh um, and all our, our army in general, uh, and if I had said this a year and a half ago, certain people in the army might have chastised me for it because, you know, they might have said, look, you know, you're revealing, you're revealing information that you shouldn't be. But the fact is, whatever condition was army was in, was uh, reflected on this war. And um, we all know what our problems were. You know, back in 2016, prior to that, I was involved in repatriation for 15 years in Artsakh and through the uh, previous organization, Yerga Union. And Support Our Heroes was actually born on April 2nd, 2016. That's when our first operation started. So I went to Artsakh to, to participate in the war. By the time I got there, the war was over because the war in 2016 was only... 12 and a half hours long. Abrilian, right? The Abrilian Karodia, so to speak, only lasted 12 and a half hours. By the time I got there, by the time 99.9% of all volunteers got there, and we went to the front lines and we realized there was nothing to do in terms of fighting. Fighting was over by Saturday afternoon to 33 o'clock. It started Saturday morning to 30 in the morning, early hours. So we all got there Saturday night. Most people got there Sunday or Monday, most volunteers. And by that time, there was no fighting going on. So there was no need for volunteers. But when I went to the front lines, I realized there's some 
serious needs. The army, the army has some serious needs other than, you know, immediate fighting and military needs. And I'm not a military person. And uh, I was not, I realized from the beginning that I'm not going to be good at, uh, you know, supplying the army with, with military gear. Um, plus the fact that military gear gear is quite a bit more expensive than, you know, other uh, logistical and medical gear. So from the beginning, we realized we have some serious problems, including food supplies, water supplies, uh, you know, rain ponchos, uh, sleeping bags, things like that. Just the, the basics. So, I mean, you, you know, you, you go to the front line and you're sleeping in, in dirt. You don't have a sleeping bag. You don't have a rain poncho and it's raining. So those are the basics. And I learned all these things because I went to the front line and I realized we don't have any of those. And um, so I went back to Stepanakert and met with the uh, one of the generals of the army and uh, someone we have since become very, very dear friends, him and I. And then through him, I met a lot of other uh, middle and high ranking officials and also a lot of just, you know, foot soldiers in the army. And over the years, we have provided <coughs> up until the September, the second war, uh, September 2020 war. Um, we strictly worked with the army and provided logistical and medical support to the army, including building the soldier's home, which is the rehab center in Stepanaget, which was interrupted by the war. We were in the middle of construction when the war started, including, um, you know, supplying the logistics of the army, including sleeping bags, including um, rain ponchos. We're talking thousands and we're talking high grade, military grade. Most of what we provided to the army was, was manufactured in Armenia most of what we had manufactured in Armenia was had never been manufactured in Armenia before, including sleeping bags and rain ponchos and tents. Everything we provided on the, in all these, these three categories were never manufactured in Armenia before. So we had to order NATO grade or NATO actual NATO uh, supplies and you know samples, and basically learn how to build, how to manufacture uh, that equipment and build multiple samples, test them. Sometimes it would take months to, to, to build samples, manufacture four or five, sometimes eight. We, we manufactured seven or eight different tent samples. Those are small, quick open and close, for example, tents that would normally cost over $500 here in the U.S. We're talking military grade. And we, manuf- we had it manufactured for $100 with DuPont, DuPont you know, a great wow. uh, non, you know, waterproof, including waterproof seams and windows. And so we were able to manufacture four times more in Armenia and uh, supply them quickly and create jobs in Armenia uh, at the same time, um, manufacture them to the exact specs the army needed. And yes, the army didn't have these things. Uh, it's not up for me to say why we didn't have them. But the fact is we were not ready in 2016. We were not ready at the beginning of this war for what was thrown at us. And what we did in 2016, between 2000, April 2016 and, and September 2020 and beyond, because we continued and we still work with the Army, supplying military, I mean, non-military, I should say, uh, logistical and medical. These days, it's mostly medical. And uh, so we are building a rehab center for the Army today. Um, and it's going to be the first military, you know, veterans, I should call it veterans rehab center in, in Artsakh. Uh, and it's a facility that's it's in we are in we're in dire need of that facility because soldiers who are wounded, who have lost their limbs, need to drive to Yerevan and stay there and live there for several months, sometimes several years, which means their families are also moving, which means we're basically taking families 
soldiers' families outside of Artsakh, and, and they don't normally don't go back to Artsakh. So it's a demographic problem as well. So, uh, yes, we, we did have those needs. Um, I'm not going to get into the interpretation as to why exactly we didn't supply our armed forces with the necessary medical and, and uh, logistical supplies uh, that any you know, respect, respected armed force should have had. But the fact is we didn't have them, and uh, whatever we supplied in most cases covered most of the needs. We supplied the army, for example, with canteens. We're talking 1,000 milliliter, military grade, uh, I'm talking really high quality canteens, manufactured by the same manufacturer in Shanghai, China, who manufactured them, who used to manufacture them and still does for the Chinese army. Well, we, ours were even higher quality and larger. The Chinese army uses 800 milliliters. Point is we got samples, multiple samples, brought them back to Yerevan at the time and uh, supplied the army with 17,000 plus uh, canteens, one, one liter canteens and uh, with thermal insulation. And, and uh, so we did what we had to do to supply the army. And again, that wasn't enough, but uh, we covered a lot of needs. It wasn't just you know, symbolic. What we did was not just symbolic. It was in a few hundred of this, few hundred of that. So we did thousands. And um, we do believe that it made a difference, whether it made enough difference, it's for others to say. But um, since of since the beginning or since the, basically the end of the 2020 war, 2020 war, uh, we realized that unless we, you know, because I had been in repatriation for so many years, so I had a lot of experience in that. We realized as a group, and at, that's the time we incorporated the NGO. So we officially became an NGO, although the NGO was there five years prior to that. We had done a lot of projects. But in uh, at the right after the war, immediately after the war, within days, we incorporated the NGO and became a nonprofit both in Armenia officially, legally, both in Armenia and in the U.S. And we have since been spending most of our efforts on repatriation uh, because unless... As I said at the beginning of this conversation, unless people live in Artsakh, um, Artsakh cannot be Armenian. So it's true for, you know, there's an Can old saying. Can you say the same English, about Armenia as well? It's the same about any region of Armenia. When you say it's the same about Armenia, Artsakh is Armenia, mm -hmm. uh, has always been Armenia. If it wasn't Armenia, we wouldn't be doing all this. Uh, and and the fact is, you know, there's an old saying in, in, the, in, in English that says, if you don't take care of your homeland, others will. So we need to do what we need to do to keep Artsakh Armenian. Otherwise, everything else we do, everything else, including militarily, including financially, including politically, everything, every other move we make to keep Artsakh ours means has no meaning at all if people don't live on that land. Definitely. Yeah. So people sometimes ask us and say, well, isn't it risky? Isn't it? How do we know what's going to happen? Why don't we wait for a settlement? Well, the whole idea behind a settlement is political settlement. If people aren't, if Armenians aren't living in Armenia, when the time comes for political dialogue and settlement, guess what? The first thing that the Azeris, the Turks are going to say is, come again? Who are you guys? You know, how many Armenians live in Artsakh? All this is for what? So whatever, um, I guess, argument we had the past 30 years, and we failed in that argument, in fulfilling that argument, which was we need to populate Artsakh, and we didn't do it. That argument stands true today more than ever. We need to populate Artsakh and 100,000, 150,000. We're talking about today uh, a 3,000 square kilometer region. Before the war, it was close to 12,500 square kilometer. 
Just to give people an so idea. A quarter of it is left. It's less than a less quarter. Than a quarter. Wow. Just to give you an idea, Lebanon, the country where I was born, is 10,452 square kilometers. And in Lebanon, arguably, five to six million people live. So at least five, five million, maybe even six million. So Artsakh was larger than Lebanon for the, last, for the past 28 years. And we lost the opportunity. We missed the opportunity to Republic. populate our homeland. <clears throat> and guess what? Now uh, we lost that opportunity, you know, at least for the near future. Um, for the our, time being. For the time being. Of course, you know, we wouldn't do what we're doing today if we didn't have the hope and the planning uh, to, to take back what we lost. But the reality is, in order to get to the lands that we lost in Artsakh, we need to live in the lands that we have. And uh, in 3,000 square kilometers, we can have a million people live easily. And that's why I brought this, I did this this comparison of Lebanon versus Artsakh or generally Armenia. Armenia is overall in the same situation. You know, uh, 3,000 square kilometers is left in Artsakh today. The rest is occupied territories, the other 9,000 square kilometers. Uh, Armenia as a whole, including Artsakh, is 33,000 square kilometers. And official government figures are 3 million. The reality is about maybe about 2 million people live in Armenia. So it's a dismal number. We need to be able to live in our, on our lands. So. When you say million can live in, live in Artsakh, size-wise, yes. But as far as infrastructure, Resource. resources, water, electricity, can it support a million people? Yes. Artsakh has, is very rich in, in the minerals, including water. It is true that we've lost a lot of the water source of water to the uh, to the Turks, but we can create new sources, and um, yes, we can easily populate at least six to seven hundred thousand people in Artsakh today. We could have done way over a million, maybe two three million in Artsakh have lived in Artsakh prior to the war. And you know what? If had we had that many people in Artsakh, had we lived in Artsakh by the millions. Um, I cannot imagine a scenario where we would have lost. We would have lost what we lost. We would have. We would have never lost this war. How many? That's that's my belief, at least. Recently, after the war, uh, I mean, I've I've personally noticed a lot of people leaving not only Artsakh but Armenia. Do you think that's another issue that we're having? Why are so many people leaving Armenia? That as far as their homeland, as soon as they get some sort of visa or a green card or a work visa, they're out. Or they'll come in through Mexico, the legal way, as far as turning themselves in as refugees. Maybe that's a bigger issue as well, is the depopulation of Artsakh, the depopulation of Armenia. People seeking opportunity to leave and seek, again, it sucks saying this, but better opportunity outside of Armenia, better life outside of Armenia. Uh, You know, um, I got to say this. I've always believed that people people who've left Armenia in the past 30 years, uh, generally, and people who are, so you know, so to speak, eager to leave Armenia today. And when I say Armenia, every time I say that word, consider the fact that I consider Artsakh part of it, and it is part of it. And so when I say Armenia, I mean Artsakh as well. Um, I think that people don't leave because of better education, because of better financial, uh, you know, uh, financial life, because of better goods in life. People leave because of hope. So uh, most people who leave Armenia today, and at least people who, that I know, who I know have left, 
and or people who I know have come here and I've I've gotten to know them here even during my tw- 20 years of of uh, of living here I've always noticed that the real reason people have left has not been to live a better life it's, it's because they just haven't seen hope and future in Armenia and those are the people who have left first and because there's a lot of people in Armenia who live in really really difficult conditions and they and they will die before they leave the country so it's not it's not the, the conditions of life it's the fact that we need to give people hope that Armenia has a future for them for their kids for their you know uh, new generation yeah. that they've brought into this world so that's what we have to work on it's it's convince people that there's hope in Armenia it's easier for me to say that because you know, I, I realize that because I'm I live I'm a middle class citizen of Armenia so I have a you know even arguably upper middle class so it's you know I have a better life and I enjoy the better things of life you're comfortable there I'm comfortable and I'm better than comfortable so it's easier for me to say that hey you know I have hope but um, I interact with people who don't have the things that I have every day yeah because it's funny I was having this I was having this conversation with my older brother yesterday where I told him, I'm like, he's like, no, people live great in Armenia. I'm like, no, man. I mean, leave Yerevan. Don't look at Armenia as, I mean, don't look at Armenia as, oh, you know, you see all these videos on social media where people are at cafes. I'm like, leave Yerevan. Armenia is still considered a third world country. I mean, would you consider 80% of the country still lives in, I don't want to say middle class, but at least in a little bit of a lower class? I don't want to use the word poverty because when you use the word poverty, it's like it's super, super. I want to use like lower class at least, not middle class. Poverty is the fact that they they, they don't know if they're going to have food on the table. Yeah, I don't want to say poverty, but that is the reality. reality. uh, If they're going to have hot water, if they're going to have heat. See, that's what I was having a conversation with them. I was saying. Outside of Yerevan, it's really bad. He goes, no, it's not. People live fine. I'm like, no, man, you haven't seen it. You haven't seen what's going on. And I and I brought up the example of 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 Gyumri saying that you know what, 30 years ago there was an earthquake and they made these metal containers saying this is all temporary living, but you still have you've had three generations. There's a lot more to that, Arno John. There's a uh, no, lot. I know, more to I know, that, but bro. you have you have generations growing up in these in these domics in these metal containers where. <laughs> You're just like, how many of those families do you think had gotten their homes, sold those homes, and moved yeah, back? Yeah, it's a double job. Yeah, double it's story. A, it's a double story. Not all of them. Not all. I'm not. <clears throat> I'm not trying to bring anyone down. No. But that's happened. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know. So well, you got the, the word poverty is a scientific word. It's the. Defi- it has a certain strict definition as to what your income needs to be and what your life conditions need to be. So I'd, I'd rather not use the word poverty. Yeah. I'd rather use the word acceptability. Because, in my opinion, vast majority of people in Armenia live in unacceptable life conditions. And that's not just outside of Yerevan. It's also in Yerevan. I mean, just leave the center of Yerevan. Go to Charbach. And you'll see that uh, people live in conditions that we would never accept okay. as human beings. And um, So wh- why so, is that still there, though? That's, well, that's, that's why when, before we started, and you guys asked me, why haven't you been, been there in 30 years? Last time I went back is... I can't digest how you've got so many so many people that le- live better than you know the wealthy here that live in Malibu and Beverly Hills and yet in this in such a small country 
Like the a other, few the, have a lot. Yeah, like you See, know that when the, Voskin and his family was there the other day. That video of those three kids, single. Mom, I don't. Wa- living, I don't watch any of it. I don't want to watch any of it, bro. I don't want to watch like, any of it. How, how is that still? You I, should I, watch I'll it. Tell you how. I'll tell you, you how. You should because, watch it because he, if if I if I went there or when I I mean my my idea somebody if you do the math how many families are living like that and how many actual structures is it going to take for these people to have the basic necessities i'm not talking about a luxury you know a single family home with a pool and i'm talking about an apartment building one or two bedrooms clean water you know heat ac like the basic necessities that we need as a human beings which I know there's a large billions of people in the world that don't have it, but Armenia is such a small country, and we've got a diaspora that's so strong, and even Armenia itself has so many wealthy people there that I, I see, and that's how the conversation took place. Before you tell us how, as far as how it'll get back onto its feet, the conversation opened up with Dodigago building a statue of Jesus in Armenia. <laughs> And then, and then he was, and then you know, we had some family members. Well, I think I was some I, against. I, some I, no, no, I think I was the only one against it. Really? And I said, I think it's a stupid idea. And they said, No, why? We were the first Christian nation. We need to. And I was like, Are you guys kidding me? I said, The the country we're, we're a third world country, and you have Dodi Gago, who's probably the richest man in Armenia, or in, at least in Abovian, uh, on paper. Uh, Building a statue of Jesus, you know, in our in Armenia, I'm like, that money can be used for you know to, to better Armenia. In and they what said, way? And they said, in what way? I don't know. Okay, and they said, well, would you could would you ever think a millionaire would build something here? I'm like, listen, you can't compare life here to life in Armenia. We're a third world country. If he's going to spend that money and build a Jesus statue. Let them do what Armun just said. Let them build a building, something like that, where you can get people into a home. Let it be in Gyumri. Let it be in Abovian. Let it be anywhere. He did. He, he has a project in Abovian. He's but do done you, that. Do you know the numbers at all, or are you not familiar with that? No, we're still As far as how many people li- live in these circumstances, families, not people. And, and you know the cost of construction in Armenia. Um, like, because when, when I do the math, I'm like, if, for example, if there's, let's say, 30,000 families, even if it costs $50,000 a unit, which I don't think it would cost that much, it's not a lot of money to to build these structures for these people to have some dignity in the life they live. Like, Do you, do you know the numbers as far as how many live in these conditions and what it would cost to build? I, I don't. Well... Cost-wise, we can probably come up with some figures, but I don't have state figures or real figures, I should call it, um, as to how many people live in poverty or unacceptable conditions. But I can say this. I've always believed that, um, first of all, it's undeniable that most Armenians live outside of Armenia. It was that way even during the Soviet era. So if you look at the population of Armenians, and again, this is a, uh, how Armenians are defined as Armenians is a pretty loose term because, you know, who is defined as an Armenian? Um, you know, the third or fourth generation 
Armenian living in Fresno who doesn't speak a word and doesn't even really feel any association with Armenia, but still eats dolmas and, and montes and whatever? Or is it the diehard Armenians who have come here from the Middle East or Armenia in the past 20 years and who are living with Armenia uh, all day, every day? So we have to define you know, Armenian first. But I, arguably, I would say that at least 5 million people live outside of Armenia. Armenians do. And I have no doubt in my mind that no more than 2 million people live in Armenia today. No more. So even if it's 3 million, it's still, it still means that more Armenians live outside of Armenia than Armenia. So we have a national uh, capacity. Don't you think that's a recipe for disaster in itself? Well, the problem is... Show me one other nationality that has that issue. The disaster is in this, not in the numbers. The disaster is in the fact that the diaspora who started forming... You know, if we go back to the old diaspora, back in the uh, middle centuries, uh, when Ani, Ani fell in 1074, when Ani fell, that's when the first diasporans, diaspora Armenians started forming. Back in the, at the time, mostly in, the, in Eastern Europe, in, in Poland and other Eastern, Eastern European countries. But if we start looking at the newer diaspora in the 19th century, you know, starting from the middle 1900s, from Sassoon and, and Dikranagert, Armenians left and, and came to the U.S. A lot of them went to the East Coast. A lot of them went to, uh, uh, you know, uh, Buffalo and New York. And if we start looking at the, the even later diaspora in the early 1900s, you know, uh, when the genocide took place, or even the first phase of the genocide in 1897, 1896-97, when over 300,000 Armenians were massacred. So no matter how we look at it, the diaspora was, was, has been, in the past 100 years, uh, institutionalized, in the sense that people who live in the diaspora today, and I've, I'm a professional when it comes to that, because I've lived most of my life in the diaspora. Um, I'm the first one to admit it, that we look at the diaspora as a self-fulfilling prophecy in the sense that we forget the meaning behind the diaspora, the reason why it was formed and what the end goal is. We have no end goal in the diaspora. If the end goal in the diaspora is to stay Armenian, that's a losing proposition the day you set that goal. Because we know the fact is, and the history has shown us, that even in the Middle Eastern countries, the diaspora hasn't lasted more than a few generations. And I'm not even going to talk about the Western diaspora in, you know, in Fresno and in Marseille and in, in Valence in, in many regions of Europe, in Eastern Europe. You go back and look just, you know, three, four generations back, whoever was, was calling himself or herself an Armenian at the time, their grandkids and, and the grandkids' grandkids are not even close to being Armenians today. They're not even Armenian by name or by last name. They've changed their last names too. So the fact is, it's a proven fact that, we shouldn't set the goal of staying Armenian as a, you know, the, the, as a purpose of, as a reason for the diaspora to exist. Because if we set that, then uh, we're the first ones who are fooling ourselves. There's no way the diaspora can set itself, can set itself up such that it could stay Armenian, that, that it could sustain itself. It's just a temporary solution to a problem that is, was independent of those people who came to the diaspora. I admit that. So we have to understand why does the diaspora exist and, and what's the goal? Well, the goal is simple. We need, to, we need to basically do everything possible in our power to A, sustain the diaspora temporarily during those years, and B, for those who can go back, create the conditions for them, for them to go back to Armenia and realize the fact that not everyone wants to or can go back. But the first and foremost thing we need to do is, is make Armenia the epicenter of the diaspora, something we have never done, even even if we go back 30 years from now, 
or 50 years or 100 years, Armenia has never been the epicenter of the diaspora in Armenians. Never been. It's still not today. Why, though? Why? Because we have a problem nationally. We don't think right. We don't think that Armenia... And you know what? Armenia is independent today. If, if someone would argue with you 35 years ago, is 30 it? years ago, that Armenia... Well, at least on the surface. Okay. You know, at least legally. And that argument you just brought up could have brought, could have been brought up five years ago or 10 years ago. 30 years ago. Or, or 30 years ago. But the fact is, we have the freedom to go and live in Armenia, and I'm living proof of that. To, to go and establish ourselves in Armenia today... And we have the freedom of going to Armenia without physically going to Armenia today. 30 years ago, we couldn't do that. So, yes, we are independent. And Armenians have the freedom, have had that freedom for 30 years to make Armenia their, the center of their lives. And they haven't done that. And we as a diaspora and the government of Armenia and the organizations in the diaspora, including political organizations, including charitable organizations, they're all responsible for this because they're all thinking about how to sustain their organizations here in the diaspora. They're all thinking about how to when and where to build the next church and the next Armenian center, when in reality, all that's going to go away in 50 years, it's going to, it's going to basically be nothing. In 50 years, we're going to not only lose those churches and those, and those centers, but the people who go to those churches and centers, they're not going to be there anymore. Their kids aren't going to go. So we need to make sure that our entire focus, even if we don't move to Armenia, and I'm not advocating that everyone should move to Armenia. I realize not everyone is mentally or financially or practically ready to move to Armenia, maybe never. And that's that's fine. That's okay. But Armenia needs to be the, the center of our lives in the diaspora, and it's not. And we need to act now and start changing that fact. Because if we don't, sooner or later, we're we're you know we're not we're going to lose both the diaspora and and Armenia because uh, we're one nation, and we're, we shouldn't be one nation by just slogans. You know, if we are one nation, that then Armenia is the purpose of our existence, is the reason for our existence. You know, it's and a trust we don't live factor, that way in the diaspora. Think? It's a trust factor. It doesn't matter who Even the in the diaspora, we're divided. Even in the diaspora, I, I we mean, can't centralize even in the diaspora. How are we going to centralize <clears throat> in Armenia? But when you say it's a trust factor, for example, I understand what you're saying exactly. Like right now, like especially the last four years, five years, I'm going to go to Armenia like four times a year. They'll be done normal. Almost there every other month, people make fun of me. But... When I'm there, even the smallest thing I do over there, I feel like I'm, I'm productive. And when I come here, I'm living a great life. I don't need anything. When you, what does productive mean? Because, because you know. You get results. When because you do 20, something like 20,000 in Armenia tangible, can go. Tangible. Yeah, because $20,000 in Armenia can go a long way. Yeah. $20,000 in L.A., you're not going to move a needle. No, I'm not talking about money-wise. So I'm what's productive about, mean? What does that mean? Even if I change a person's way of thinking. Conversation. A person meaning somebody who's living in Armenia. In Armenia, yeah. yeah. If I do something and they see that and they take that habit, the good habit out of it, I feel like that's more than what I do here. Because right now here, the way I see it, my future here, and again, I thank this country for everything. I love it. Just like Vegan says, just give me opportunities to talk like this. I feel like the only thing I'm doing here is making my bank account go. Just making more money. And you don't think by making more money here and going there, say, the way you've been doing it a few yeah. months out of the year, yeah. you'll be more productive versus actually living in Armenia? Living in Armenia. If I take, I can put numbers. I can put, let's say I take 100000 a year and I go do something there. 
I came to a conclusion after being going back and forth so much that me living there as a person there, even if I just do the regular buy, purchasing power, whatever I'm buying, like food and this and that, my presence there makes the circulation just numbers more, just like you were saying. We need population in Armenia. Bro, think about it. You buy eggs, you buy bread. You, so, you have to buy the necessities, right? And then if, if you're I'm living there, there, you're buying that. Okay, that's $500 a month. Okay, but you thinking that's, it, that's one. one. But when you add those 500s, that's 500 bucks a month. Why that's do we have two or three families generating money? Yeah, but I mean, I mean, look at it. Look at it this way: if you continue to live here, yeah. have a successful future, and God willing, your your daughters and your son, they have a successful future. They have, they become doctors, lawyers, engineers, whatever it is, and they contribute back to Armenia as far as on a monetary. On a, on a monetary level, you don't think that'll that's doing more impact than you packing up, changing your life, your children's life, your wife's life, moving to another country and basically starting all over and not knowing, you know, if your kids will stay there, if they'll move back to the country, move back to the States. I mean, it, there's a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. It is. It's their choice. And again, I, I don't mean to throw a wrench in your no, chain. I know. I know you've been on the fence as far as going back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> yeah, and, throw a monkey's wrench. Yeah, yeah. I literally throw no, a uh, it's, it's more of it's more of just a kind of uh, see. I, I kind I've of asked the same question you're asking. Yeah, and I, and I and I think I'm on 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 point with Armand. For me, it's more of like let me live here. Let me continue to build a future for myself and my for my family as far as living comfortably. But at the same time, being able to help and support Armenia there from where I am here. Arno, so let me ask you this. You and I raise our kids as Armenian as we possibly can, right? Mm -hmm. this, okay. Your kids are going to speak Armenian. They're going to read, write Armenian, right? Your grandkids are probably just going to speak Armenian. What happens to your grandkids' grandkids? No, I, I, I get that. Done. There I is get no that. such I thing. get that. So it that's not, part of the same genocide, brother. If an Armenian is killed or is just not Armenian anymore, it's the same result. No, listen, I understand. I understand. Let me ask you this. What language do you guys speak at home? My house? Yeah. Mainly English. Why? Why? You've started it prior okay. to me. Of course. Yeah. But here's the thing. We have a different dialect than Armenian. doesn't matter. It, it's that's confusing an for you're my talking, kids. You're talking about a man. You're talking about Wait, you're talking about a man who basically <laughs> was born in Lebanon, moved to the states, lived here, took his family, moved to Armenia, and and they continue to live their lives as far as I would say. Don't be surprised if even in Armenia, two generations from now, they speak English. They speak English more than Armenian because. Now they're teaching English. They've been teaching English in school as a second yeah, language. They've been teaching Not, Russian too, so you're always going to have small They've been teaching Russian for 100 years. I understand, bro. but... Yeah. And, Under a Russian regime. And this kind of is going to go back. I'm going to reference... Arno, by the way, thank you for the uh, 9.99 donation. Thank uh, you, buddy. He had a question about... And I know we're, we're not going to get into politics, but as far as... He says during the 2016 short war and 2020... Obviously, there was a different regime. Did you notice a difference in the way it was handled? Because even connecting that to what I'm saying now is, I think the regime makes a difference as far as, because I feel like the current administration wants to become more westernized. 
And that's going to change what Edgar's talking about, which is two or three generations from now, English may become a primary language, assuming English... In Armenia. Yes. Assuming English is still the primary language globally. Universal. It could be Mandarin. I don't know. But if it is English... You're pretty close. You know, but if it is English, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens to Armenia too because, because the way I see our culture and politics going is trying to emulate westernized uh, lifestyle and culture. Yet, yet controlled by the East. Well, for now, that's... Again, don't get, now, politi- don't get political. Don't get political. What are your thoughts about that? I don't agree with you. I think Armenia is going to remain Armenian in yeah. every sense of the way, including culture and language. And uh, in fact, history has proven that Armenians and Armenia, Armenian generally, you know, the Armenian way of life can only sustained can only be sustained in Armenia. I mean, even in the neighboring country of Georgia, we we've basically built their capital. We've we've been for six hundred years. We were the majority of the population in, in Tiflis, in Tbilisi, and that's history. That's not something I'm just saying. It's not a dream. I'm just making up today. The fact is, we've built that city, and most architects and contractors of uh, of Tbilisi in the past six hundred years, most mayors of Tbilisi, were Armenians because the majority of the population was Armenian. And look where we are today in Tbilisi. Armenians are second-class citizens. They're a small minority in Tbilisi. In fact, they most of them, many of them, are afraid of speaking Armenian because they're looked upon as a, you know, as a second- or third-class citizen yeah. by the Georgians. So fascism is all over the place in Georgia. So the fact is... It's controlled even, by Turkey. Even next door to Armenia, immediately next door, and in a Christian country... Um, Armenians cannot be Armenia. We cannot create new Armenians, our new Armenians outside of Armenia. Um, Armenia can only be created and, and prospered on our lands. And we've lost 90% of it. And I'm not just talking about the last war. I'm talking about the past several hundred years. I mean, if, you know, uh, if you look back at, uh, the you know, most of Armenia from the middle centuries to even during Dikran the Great, and I'm a, I'm a, Dikranagirti, uh, Myself, I, I, you know, you look back at history and we've lived on our lands for at least three to four thousand years, at a minimum three thousand years. Armenians speaking Armenian, living the Armenian way, have lived on Armenian lands on, in, in Armenia. And most of them were in Western Armenia, including Dikranagird and Sasun and Van and Mush. And we left those lands and those lands are no longer Armenia. And uh, in our hearts, they're Armenian. In our hearts, they're Armenia. We call them occupied territories. I call them occupied territories. I've never called them Turkey. But the reality is they're not Armenia because we don't live on them. So we want to we want to keep our lands. We want to keep our country and our culture. We need to live on it. That's the fact. I mean, it's the fa- it's been the fact for any nation, you know, for the past several thousand years in the, in the world. And and everything else is 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 just a fallacy. You know. It, it, Creating new Armenias, like, you know, William Saroyan says, yes, we understand what he's saying. We understand he's very romantic about his statement. And I love what he says, and I have that on my wall. And I know we, we all understand what he's talking about. But the reality is if we really want to sustain Armenia, it can, only, it can only take place in Armenia, not in Glendale, not in Pasadena. Nowhere else outside of Armenia have we been able to sustain Arme- Armenia, the Armenian culture. I agree. Well, we have a comment from somebody... I don't know what their real name is, but it says, well, what it says, 
When two Armenians meet anywhere in the world, they create a new Armenia. William Saurian. That's what he was referring to. Yeah, that's what I'm that's exactly. It's like but, but it's crazy. while you were saying that, crazy. that comment popped up. Yeah. <laughs> but see, that's the thing. For example, like Ed, you mentioned a hundred thousand a year, right? Okay. For example, I I take myself. I think I can figure things out pretty quickly. I'm an entrepreneur. I can go to Armenia, but to make a hundred thousand in Armenia dollars, so it's far fetched. Like it. <laughs> yes, but it's far fetched. Right now, if I live here to take a hundred thousand to Armenia, it's not far fetched, okay. and I can do that for a very long time. And I could teach my kids to do that, and to so that that's and I think that's and it's it, again I brought up hundred thousand because that, yeah, that no, could be ten thousand, that yeah. could be five thousand, whatever that number is, or it could be just a consistent you know hundred dollars a month. It doesn't have to be some astronomical well, yeah, figure, yeah. but. My point is, I, I just don't think, like, I, if somebody was to actually present what it would take to, to fix the basic necessities of the country, okay. then it would be much easier to, to raise the funds, to bring in people, to, to, to know that, okay, we need X amount of engineers, we need X amount of this, X amount of that. It's just over the last 30-some years, ever since the majority of us have migrated to the U.S. or other parts of the world, we just feel like whatever we send over there, 90% is going to go to waste. Somebody's going to build a castle or you know, Jesus statue, and the 10% is just going to go into the cause. That's the problem that, that we face, right? So, But if there's actually numbers to see, okay, if we spend... You know, it's going to take a billion dollars to to build 50,000 units. And this is how many people we're going to house. We're going to build an infrastructure for another 200 million because we're going to have manufacturing. I mean, you mentioned, for example, the gear you guys were producing for $100 versus $500. If there's a manufacturing plant that could produce those tents and everything else. Export. And you sell it for $500 to the Chinese army or the U.S. army or to European I mean, you're talking about a lot of money, and that's an that's an infinite contract that that's never going to go away. So, why aren't these things being done? To okay. I love your question again. I'm, I'm talking. No, I know. You, you might, I'm sitting here in the comfort <laughs> no, I of. I love your question because <laughs> comfort of LA. I was talking to Edgar yesterday yeah. over the phone, and I told him I'm going to talk about this here, and I love the question because it's a it's it's. It's a question that I can. It's a loaded question. I can finally go into all the, the topics that <laughs> I want to. We'll 12, it's you, a twelve pack, not yeah, even a six. We'll let pack. you unpack so, it. The question. Here, I'll mute us. For me, <laughs> let me put the AC. You guys are not. Yeah, so for me, uh, and this is a little bit generalizing, and it might, I might hit some people on the nerves too. They might get pissed off about it, but I feel like for me now, after especially after this last war, there's three types of Armenians. There's Armenians that I appreciate them more than the second class because for me, the first one is the Armenians that just, just like Vigam was saying, they're Armenian. Ten years, they'll go to Armenia, visit as tourists, they'll enjoy money, this, that, we're Armenian. When they're in, the, in any other country, they don't want to talk about Armenia, they don't want to do anything about it, they don't want to hear about Armenia. They want to be just tourists and call themselves Armenians, which I'm, I'm okay with that. The second part, part of the people is the people that I don't, I don't want them to be Armenian. And again, like I said, I, I might hit some <laughs> nerves. These are the people that 
every Armenian house you go, there will be a couple of people that will sit and complain about this problem, that problem, politics, this, this, this. And it's all the negative energy, negative talk. And believe me, I go to Armenia. I see all the crap. I've I've been everywhere. I've, not everywhere. Not like weekend, but I've been into those. I've been into the regular, and even the regular people. Some, there are some people you look at you like, oh my, it's embarrassing. But those people that sit at home and complain, 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 I'd rather them not to do anything for Armenia. And not speak And either. not even talk about Armenia. And don't complain about Armenia. Yeah. You're not happy. I'm God for you. Don't be happy about it. But don't sit and be a negative energy for everybody else. Third people, at least in diaspora, for me, is people that if I'm making $100 and I know I'm only spending, let's say, $80, and out of that $80, let's say $50 is just whatever, having fun, I can spend that $20 for EMEA and I can help. I can help. Going back to your question about we, we collect money and we send, and then a lot of it goes to this person, that person. And I know that. I've seen that. I've seen that firsthand. I tell people, I say, instead of sitting and complaining about it, I'm going to give you a simple solution. Take $100. Anytime you plan to go to Armenia, go buy four trees and one shovel, which is going to cost you Less than $4. Go to anywhere in the mountains, dig a hole, plant those four trees. You've done a great cost for Armenia. You've done more It's than your me. own money. Nobody stole it from you. You created oxygen for Armenia. And don't complain to anybody. Say, you know what? I went to Armenia and I planted four trees. And let that be a self-satisfying thing for you. Instead of sitting and complaining about this, this, this. And again, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of organizations, a lot of politics. There's a lot of money being. We saw it the first time during the war. I mean, I was driving. I live in Granada Hills. From Granada Hills to Glenda, I will come. I just passed out money. And I'm sure all of you guys did the same thing too. Every corner, it was an Armenian kid with a sign. We just passed yeah. out money. Yeah, you should yeah. go watch your episode 101. And- yeah, I know. And I know. And during that time, September 27, I was in Armenia. I came back on October 13. I went back in November again. I called Vigan. I'm like, Vigan, like, people are telling me they want to give money because now they're finally realizing the email that you were sending that, hey, and the email that he sent was a dollar today for me is worth way more than $1,000 during war. And I didn't understand that. I understood what he said. But during the war, when I called him, I'm like, you know, it was an awesome. He's like, I can't talk because yeah. a short conversation. Mm-hmm. I go, incha, incha, but what is it? What's needed? Like nothing, not Nima, nothing. My cousin worked at High Post. She called me. She's like, people are coming here, telling me, what do you think they need? She will call me in Armenia. Like, what do you? I'm like, nothing. I don't know, nothing right now. And believe me, people were pouring stuff into every shipping thing, sending stuff over there. And some of it got lost. Some of it got sold. You know, least at the end, whatever. But it was time where it was too late now. So then, when we started the Saint Jude, then I got even more mad. So I called Vegan. I said, Vegan. In 2018, we donated a, we gave a ambulance, a four by four Land Rover with fully equipped medical stuff. It was an Argentinian friend of Vegan that donated that. And I called him. I said, "Look, I'm looking at the, the videos. I'm sure all of us had some illegal videos that we were watching here and there, and, everywhere. and especially the Uazneta, the people were donating Uazes. Those Uazes, I sat in it. That Uaz, a healthy person, sits in it and goes from Burbank to Glenda is going to get sick." Or something is going to pop. You're going to have hemorrhoids by the time <laughs> yeah, you get Something is going to pop. And that bad. We were donating, yeah. And we were donating that to get our wounded soldiers out of the front line. So I called him. I'm like, Vegan, this, 
let's get those things. Let's get the four by fours. At least uh, let me collect my. I can donate one from like at least get my friends and everybody. I want to do one myself. So we came to him like, okay, that's one thing we can do. At least let's have something that's good. And he was there during the war, and I kind of brought it up, but he didn't go as far as that rehab center that the construction was happening. So what happened during the construction is he completed a section of the rehab. Well, they didn't complete it, but it kind of remodeled it, which was 126 square feet, uh, square meters, which is 1,200 square feet. The area was remodeled where we were going to take equipment like treadmills and this and that. And then, and then they gave us actually a bigger space to create a bigger space for the rehab. But during the war, when the war happened, actually there was construction people. Our guys were there doing the remodeling. During the war, they went back because the war happened. And Vegan was there and let them tell you the first hand what that did what that small amount of work that we did before the war, let them tell the story. I mean, you were there first time. You were in the front lines. Yeah, you were in the front lines. You saw the that car that was there from 2018 that we donated. What did it do? Tell them. I mean, well, um, there's a general belief, and sometimes it's almost intentional. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's a... It's a naive and and, uh, and innocent belief, so I'm not going to judge people by that. But the reality is, there are some underlying reasons why people don't really believe in in uh, where their money ends up or where their support ends uh, in Armenia. But the reality is this: if they really want to make sure that what they give to Armenia ends up in the wrong, in the right place, and not in the wrong uh, place, then they should be involved. There is plenty of ways to be involved. We're just one organization, and we're certainly not the only one who does good good work out in Armenia. Now, again, when I say Armenia, I mean Armenia, including Arsakh. So let them be. You know, I encourage people to get involved, not just send a check, but also follow up, understand where that money is going, to what project, exactly where, exactly what village, which family, exactly when it's going to be spent and how it's going to be spent and when, what the end result is going to be. So be involved, you know, be proactive. Don't just send the money and sit back and then complain because you don't even know if what you're complaining has, has real grounds for, for, for a complaint. So when you are involved, chances are what you, what you give, the support you give from the diaspora does end up in the right place. And we're living proof of that. I mean, for every dollar we get from our, um, and, uh, from our sp- sponsors, uh, we have a saying, and it's true. It's not just a saying. Uh, fact is, for every dollar we get, a dollar and twenty ends up on the projects, on our projects. We actually spend our own money to accomplish, to to realize our projects in in Armenia, and that basically in Artsakh, and uh, because we want to make sure every dollar that we get, because we have no employees, no offices, we're all one hundred percent volunteers, and uh, we have a board in Armenia, our central board, and a, and a board here in the U.S. Uh, for our U.S. organization and our chapter. But the reality is we actually spend more than we collect. And the, re- the difference between the two, the balance, comes from our pockets, from our organization's members' pockets. Because we want to make sure no one ever thinks about, well, are they getting paid for their gas to go to Artsakh? Are they getting paid because they're staying at hotels or any place in Artsakh? Who's paying for their food in Artsakh? Who's paying for their accommodations? We pay for 100% of everything we do on a personal level. And we want to make sure every single dollar that we get from anywhere in the world ends up exactly on the project that they intended to finance, that person intended to finance. And we do that. We've been doing that for five years, five plus years now, or almost six years. 
And and uh, and we know we can continue working this way because we're transparent. We've we say what we do and we do what we say. And uh, I don't think people have the excuse of uh, we don't give people the excuse of saying. Uh, we don't know where our money is going to end up and it's all corruption. That is not a true statement universally. Certainly not a true statement in the most, for the most part in Armenia. But yes, there's corruption. Yes, there's abuse. But a lot of it I contributed to the, to the donors because the donors aren't really following up on what they're doing. So be involved. You know, Armenia is, a, is in so many ways a third world country, yes. And if you want to give, understand who you're giving to, which organization, what their projects are. And, uh, and I'm not saying just give it to us only. There's a lot of other good organizations out there. But we're certainly one of the ones that are that is very responsible. How we work, what we do, uh, everything we do is in Artsakh. Uh, our, our charter, our bylaws basically, basically you know, constrict us to Artsakh. And we wrote those bylaws because we want to make sure whatever we do is not on a charitable basis. And this is important for people to understand. We are legally a charitable organization both in Armenia and in the U.S. But we don't do charitable work. And this might sound surprising to you guys. We, what we do, our goal is not, uh, we end up doing charitable work. Everything we do is charitable. But our real goal is to, is to basically do national work. And what we do is when we talk about repopulating Artsakh, we're talking about uh, helping people to live, to go back to Artsakh, return and live in Artsakh. And those who are in Artsakh to find homes, we find them the homes, we buy the homes, we renovate the homes, we furnish them. We give them appliances. We do everything. We find them jobs. We do everything possible to sustain Artsakh. And during that process, we end up doing charitable work. But our goal is not charitable. If it was, we've got plenty of opportunity to do charitable work in other parts of Armenia, outside of Artsakh, including in the center of Yerevan and around Yerevan, including to Artsakhtis outside of Artsakh. There's thousands of, tens of thousands of Artsakhtis outside of Artsakh today in other parts of Armenia, in, in Sunik, in Yerevan, in uh, Spidag and Vanadzor in Gumri, our Artsakhtis are everywhere today. So if we really wanted to do it the easy way, we would just go ahead and help Artsakhtis outside of Artsakh and be done with it. It's a lot easier for us. I mean, we, we don't have to go through uh, six to seven hours of driving in the middle of the icy storms and, and get there. Checkpoint. Yeah. Go through, you know, nine different checkpoints to get checkpoints there. Checkpoints are online as much as, you know, and, and seeing, seeing the seams of death. Seeing so what you see. We do what we do because we believe that what we do uh, the ultimate goal of what we do is to is national and not charitable. But yes, we do charitable work, and everything we do is charitable. So, um, so people have to understand that they have means to to help Armenia today, and they can do it 100% effectively and efficiently. They just have to find the right organizations and and work with those organizations, be engaged with them, not just send the money and and sit back and relax. Yeah. One one thing I want to kind of bring up, and you know, hats off to you guys and a lot of the actual organizations that really put in the time and the work to do exactly what you guys are doing, helping Armenia become better. But I think <clears throat> one of the biggest concerns the diaspora has right now is, you know, the future of Armenia. You know, we talked about Aprilian a couple minutes ago, how a kind of like a bone was thrown to us, and it was kind of a hint as far as you know, there's a war coming. And then a couple of years later, a massive war broke out. And in literally 44 days, you know, we lost the majority of the Artsakh region. And it was due to being ill, ill-prepared 
today the government basically again not to get not to get too political or anything but where where are we headed as far as the work that you guys are putting in the blood the sweat the tears all of this that you guys are doing devoting your lives your time your money into armenia and you know god forbid another war breaks out i mean they say in armenian jurjtane you know what i mean that's that's the last thing we would want i mean where where's where are we as far as preparing for god forbid another attack because what you guys are doing again hats off we commend you guys not everybody could do what you guys are doing but are we are we are we preparing ourselves in the future you can answer that question the only question i can answer is again if if it's too political i don't want you to get into it no it's not that's not when we when we in february of last year when we took the five uh, suvs the medical van cruisers when we drove we went through the checkpoints we stopped by a sushi checkpoint maybe we again we're sitting together the azari sitting right there basically right next to you this reading because on our thing it says to our saharami and so on so whatever it, it, i literally make sure it, every one of them says arts of defense army on both sides yeah. in english so when we stop at that last checkpoint and they're looking at us with a grim smile on their face like this is you off like this is me off it gets to a point where like like the guy that threw this grenade that's what you want to do but anyhow we drove off we get to the step on our guess we go there this was february this is three months after the war it was march i'm sorry march yeah four months march. after the war, yeah it was early march yeah february we talked about it. that's march 6th is the yeah he called me he's like we got the cars we drove everything i'm like okay i flew there for what five days i flew there i'm like okay i'm gonna drive flew there that night i got there in the morning we drove off four five in the morning we drove off to our so we got there we, we gave the five things the tv channels games whatever whatnot there was a guy, got him, came to me, he was broken down, spirit broken, everything broken. He lost his home, he lost his home in uh, Shushi. When we brought the, when we took the cars there, my friend Nestrop was like, let's turn the ambulance, let's make the noise. The sirens. Yeah, the sirens on. Turn the sirens on, people kind of like shook me, woke him up kind of. He got there, kind of came to me, he was like, how old is he? Like 50, 60 years old? Well, I don't know, whatever. Like a little kid telling me, so thank you. Like we thought like nobody cared about us anymore. Like that, like a little kid talking to me like that. So I knew that even though it's just something that we did, I already made him feel that hope, that hope got into him, that, hey, it's not over. That's There's worth still, more than money right there. That, 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 that it, I don't know. I can't explain that feeling. So I'm like, you know what? I got to do more. I got to do more. doesn't matter what I do. I got to do more. I spent, like, my wife sometimes complains because I just get up and fly to Armenia. And I was like, oh, it, but I got to do it. I do it at the, the feeling that I get afterwards. It's just I can't explain. You guys had a guest here a couple of episodes back. He was a doctor that was in Stepanakir. Jack. Yeah, he went to a couple of different hospitals. And I asked a question to the guy. I said, ask him, see if he went to the the Stepanakert Hospital, the basement floor, because Egan was there. The work that he did, I, mean, I was on there. But go ahead and tell him. Like, the, the car that we donated in 2018, the same, we donated five more last year or 2020, but that one car brought how many soldiers from Chirakan? Whereas 
And this is one other thing we, we need to educate ourselves because I feel like we all had, I know the government has a lot of blame, but I feel individually all of us have a blame. I have a blame. I blame myself. I haven't done enough. Each and every one of us. Yeah. Because my friend's son was stationed in Hadrut. We went there. You tell me where Fizul is, Jabrahil is, I'll tell you exactly where they are. I didn't know the Armenian names. And I went to Artsakh. I don't know. Varanda and Jalakan. I know, I know now. I educated myself. Because where's Dachin? Dachin is a Turkish word. We were on the war in 94, for example. But we, we still kept on using Turkish words, Turkish names. I'm even, when I, when we, I go back. We never stamped our victory. Yet. When that I go was back, the number one problem. We never stamped your when victory. When I go back to Artsakh, when I come in March or April, the building that says Derlang Gharabagh, Shenkaj, the Petakan Shen, that should change to Artsakh. Artsakh. Because if we're arguing in the international court saying, oh, this is Armenian land, why are we still using Turkish word names? So I started educating myself. So I was at fault saying Turkish words. Maybe it's not as big as some government, whatever they didn't do it or they did or not, but all of us were at fault. So I learned, I said, okay, I got to educate myself first and I got to do more, as much as I can, whatever I can do. And then, like I said, the hospital, at least that little area that we remodeled, at least had the chance to remodel. He told me a story yesterday I didn't even, I mean, I knew a little bit about it, but he told me a story yesterday that I didn't there was surgeries happening on that little 1,200 square feet. So yeah, what was it? Every given minute, there was, what, seven, eight surgeries happening in that little area. Well, any given time, there were, you know, I, I wasn't there full time. I mean, I visited Stepanagert because I wasn't stationed in Stepanagert, obviously. But I had to come back because we were, our goods were arriving in Stepanagert from Yerevan. Uh, assistance, logistical support, and medical support from our organization. So Edgar and everybody else in Yerevan was sending support. So uh, multiple times I came back to the hospital during that time, and the hospital had moved down to the basement area. And in the basement is where our rehab center is. And by the time the war started, we had completed construction on 126 square meter, which is about 1,350 square feet. And that was the only remodeled area. And it was beautifully remodeled. It was all done, lighting and everything. Uh, tiles, lighting, you know, pressed granite. And uh, the overall basement is close to over 2,000 square feet, 2,000 square meter, I'm sorry, which is close to 22,000 square feet. And uh, that 126 square meter or 1,350 square feet was an incredible life-saving link for the hospital because that's where everything took place. That's where uh, at any given time we had six to seven operating tables uh, with seriously wounded soldiers being operated on. The uh, ICU was also in the same, and then you're going to think, well, how could how could a 1,350-square-feet area serve both as seven operating rooms and ICU at the same time? Believe it or not, it did. And it was the only place where, where they could do all that, both operating surgeries and ICU. There was nowhere else. I mean, everything else was just, you know, dirt. So they couldn't possibly use any other space inside the basement for operations for surgeries and for uh, ICU for intensive care after surgery care. Uh, point is, had we completed uh, a the, the entire project prior to the war, had the army done that work, had us as the nation, as an Armenian nation, 
prepared ourselves for that war, both in terms of medical, logistical, every other way you can think of. Uh, it goes without saying militarily. Not only we wouldn't have had 90% of the, the, you know, the, uh, of the martyrs that we had during this war, but we would have, there's no question in my mind, had we lived on those lands uh, as our lands, had we been on those lands by the millions, at least by the hundreds of thousands, we would have kept those lands. We would have had a few hundred martyrs and we would have come out of this war winning. So the lesson is not to go back and look back and say, you know, and, and, you know, cry over what happened. That's not what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to say is let's learn from our mistake. We owned, we were owners of Armenian lands for 28 years and we didn't take ownership. We were the legal owners. We were the military victors. And you know what? We never really took ownership of those lands. And now we've got 3,000 square, square kilometers. And unless we take ownership of those lands, and when I say take ownership of the lands, I really mean take ownership. And lands are not lands. We're not talking about rocks and soil. We're talking about people. We're talking about communities, villages. Communities. We're talking about uh, uh, an entire region of Armenia that's totally threatened by the Turks today and co almost completely surrounded. Unless we take ownership, unless we feel like we're part of we're locals, we're residents of Artsakh, even though we might not be physically. Unless we treat every single resident of Artsakh as a hero, which is what we do. Uh, we don't just treat the soldiers as heroes. We treat every single resident of Artsakh as a hero. And we've been thinking that for years. I mean, I've been thinking that for the past 25 years, thinking that living in Artsakh, it's, it's, as I said, it's very easy to love Armenia from a distance. But, you know, those people who live there, um, they they really take a lot of risk. I mean, think about it. The fact is, they took a lot of risk during this war. And the fact is, proportionally, Artsakh uh, sacrificed an incredible amount of, uh, I guess, human and, and every other resource you can imagine during this war. So the price we paid as a nation during this war didn't have to be paid. And the price we pay during the next war and there's going to be a next one. I have no question in my mind that there's going to be another war. I've been saying there's going to be a war for the past five, six years, and there it was. It came. Of course, it was going to be unexpected in time, in the, in the sense of what day and what time it starts and what front it starts at. But the fact is, we all knew it was going to start. I knew it was going to start. And I'm telling you right now, I'm saying this publicly, there's going to be another war. How we come out of that next war is completely dependent on what we do today. And I don't mean that as Armenia. I mean that, I mean that in our, as Armenians. So we're a nation of arguably six, seven, eight, nine. People say 10 million. Fine, 10 million. What are we doing about Armenia today? How are we making Armenia the center of our lives today? Or is it a part-time homeland? Is it a half-hour-a-day homeland or maybe two hours a week homeland? If that is the case, what rights do we have in the diaspora to to, to, to say what we say about Armenians or the Armenian government, even if it is a corrupt government, even if it is a, an unworthy government, we need to be worthy of speaking our minds before we speak our minds. So I encourage diasporans to get involved and make Armenia their, their, the center of their hearts and minds and, and lives every day, all day. And only then they will have the right to criticize Armenians who live in Armenia, to, to criticize the government, to criticize the previous government, today's government, that's when they, they earned that right without doing what I'm saying, without uh, getting involved physically and, and mentally and financially every day, 
um, I, I really, and I, and Edgar was saying something earlier. Uh, I know this sounds harsh. I know, I know, I know people might criticize me for this, but whoever could, whoever's thinking right now that I'm, that I'm not being fair, that, 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 you know, I'm, I'm critical of, of them because they live in the diaspora and they didn't have a choice. It wasn't their choice to live in the diaspora. I understand that. You know what? I lived in the diaspora myself most of my life and it wasn't my choice. And I'm not saying everyone should come to Armenia. That is not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying whoever is not coming and living in Armenia is not a good Armenian. That is not what I'm saying. What I am saying is if you want to have rights, if you want to claim the rights of an Armenian, if you want to claim the rights of the right of saying anything about Armenia and Armenians who live in Armenia, if you want to claim the rights of, of dictating or of giving an opinion about what direction Armenia should go today and what we should have done the last 30 years and everything that comes in between, then be involved, give yourself, make Armenia the center of your life, the epicenter of your of world, and then you will earn that right. And then we welcome your opinion. And then you could say whatever you want. You could do whatever you want. We'll work together to, to build a better Armenia. Otherwise, you know, otherwise we will continue with the style of diaspora we've had the past hundred years. And I'm not going to be the doomsday guy, but if we continue on the same path, we will end up being a nation of the past. In a hundred years, I don't know if we're going to be around. So we need to change. We need to change fast. We need to change now. And we, we better start doing it immediately. And it, it doesn't matter what political or cultural organization you're a part of in, in the diaspora. I don't care. Just Armenia is not a political entity. Armenia is a country. It's a homeland. Make Armenia your heart. Make Armenia your center. And I'm not a member of any political party today. And I used to be. And I haven't changed a bit. I'm still a member of the same nation. So you don't have to be a part of a political organization or a cultural organization. You can be. It could be good. If you need to be, be, be it. But I think uh, that's the demise of Armenia's future, though. Well, just Armenia by itself is enough to fill your heart and mind and life. So uh, you don't need to be part of a political organization or any organization. So we do what we do. Edgar and I and our friends, uh, we're, you know, we have, uh, we're a group of, you know, if you just look at our board, we're a group of, what, 10, 12 people? And people think we're by the hundreds. We're not. Fact is, you can do a lot just by yourself with a couple of friends around you. And, and uh, we're living proof of that. So we're not a government. We're not a government agency. We're completely non-affiliated non-affil- with any government agency. And uh, we work with the government whenever needed. We don't hire the government for anything we do. Uh, we do what we do. We develop our projects. We develop the basis of our projects. We know what we need to do because we're on the ground. And we develop that we design our projects, we plan our projects, and we implement our projects 100% ourselves. So every Armenian can do what we do. There is no difference between us and any Armenian in diaspora. And you know what? I did what I do today when I was in the diaspora. So I know that it can be done. And you can still maintain a full life in the diaspora. You can, you can have a good job. You can make good money. You can do all the things you were saying earlier. And you can still be involved full-time with Armenia. Now, how, how do, let's say, anybody that, that's watching now or will watch in the upcoming weeks or months, um, how do they get involved with your organization or as far as donations go? And then what type of, because you said get involved, find out what they're doing. So what, uh, what type of transparency do you have? Do you 
share videos on the website, your social media. How do they know what what's taking effect every day as far as your organization goes? There are different organizations. They're all good. The way we operate, again, like Vegan was saying, like we have an overhead cost. Everything is basically every dollar and every dollar twenty goes to the you have no overhead costs. No overhead okay. costs. I mean, yeah, we're going to start filing taxes here, so I have to pay the, even the, the accountant says don't pay me anything because he sees what we're doing, but you know, I have to pay him something. But in general, there's no office, there's no... I mean, if I fly to Armenia, I fly on my own. He flew to Dubai for uh, five land rovers. He was there for five, six days. Like That's all out of our pockets. Yeah. We, don't, we don't use the, the organization funds for it. Uh as far as projects, there is uh, currently we have uh, multiple projects in Artsakh that we're doing. Uh, one is the repats, basically, where we, if there's a family, uh, either a wounded soldier or a mortar soldier, we'll buy a property, we model it, we give them animals, we give them. Basically, we we don't just buy a property. Yeah, we don't just buy a property and say here it is, go live in it. Uh, what what is, for example, the average cost for that? Uh, Vegan is the guy that's always because he's there basically. So because and I'm yeah. asking this question because, for example, if it's ten thousand, somebody mm-hmm. knows if they donated thousand. Okay. They had a ten percent no. contribution to that family's okay. well-being, or maybe somebody will say, you know what, I want, I'll, I'll put up the ten thousand. Yeah. I want to just sponsor this family's repat. So the I want to go over the the four projects that sure, we're working sure. on right now, and then I'll we can, answer that question. And then we can okay. we'll go into the the dollar amounts. Because, again, he's there every two weeks. He's in Artsakh. So uh, the projects, one is that the single-family homes. We just buy in Martakit, Martoni, whatever it is. Uh, we don't do work in Stepanakert except the hospital that we're doing, which is the the rehab center that we're building. And that rehab center is not just going to be a rehab center. It's going to be also, uh, God forbid, there's a war. It's, again, going to be broken out into two surgery rooms, ICU units, and all the floor plans, the, everything that's there, it's on our website. So if you go to our websites, you go to the projects, you'll see completed projects. Can you mention your website? Real website quick? is supportourheroes.am. Yeah. So I, I pinned it on the uh, on the Facebook channel. Um, we'll pin it on the uh, on the YouTube yeah. channel as well. There's also Instagram page and a Facebook page. So if you go on there, you'll see the projects. So and then you'll see detail by detail. There's a YouTube channel also, and most of the projects on our website. If you go, you'll click on the video. It'll open up. Most likely, Regan will be there. We'll come one video on there, but mainly it's our uh, greatest guy here uh there he'll explain the project that we're doing and when it's completed what's happening basically uh so the in step on here we're doing that the floor it's uh and he'll go into details about the cost and everything uh we're also currently doing a big project in uh, which is uh, uh it's a village in uh, the Askeran region uh we're building 16 houses there and it's gonna have its own park and again the floor plans and everything it's on our website uh we're also building a IT center in that same village. The whole idea is basically not to, and I don't want to talk bad about other projects because I welcome every project that's happening. But if I build a house and vegan was mentioning this the other day, we were talking, if I have a villager that's displaced, for example, and I bring them, giving them a condominium unit, two bedroom unit and step on a gift, what is he going to do there? He doesn't know anything else. The only thing he knows is how to take care of animals or land. So if I bring them to Stepanak, and there's massive construction going on in Stepanak, and we don't do any work in Stepanak besides the hospital. So that IT center is going to be basically uh, kids that go to school in that village, 
they're going to go, they're going to have the opportunity to come tr get trained there for IT. And we already have, uh, and again, we'll go into details about that. And after they get trained, they're going to get a job also, which are the companies are, that are in Yerevan and outside of Armenia. But they're going to live there. They're going to rent a cubicle after they're trained. They're going to work there. They're going to kind of that cubicle, basically, the, the rent that they're paying is going to pay for the next student to be trained there for free. And they're going to stay there. They're going to raise their families there. And that's how you create a neighborhood, a village, a town, and you populate it with people working there and being happy there. And if somebody lives like me, I was born in Razdan. I go back to Razdan, that's, I feel like I'm home there. That's my homeland or that's my birthplace. So I went and did the work in my school. Why? Because I'm attached to it. I'm connected to it. So if I'm living in an area where I was born there and I, I worked there and I raised my, if I'm doing cattle and I raise my cattle, if I grew up there, I'm going to take care of that place. Just like your own house. If you're, going to do, you're in real estate, a second home or vacation home, compared to your house, you take care of your house the best as you can. Vacation home is, yeah, it's a vacation home. It's a money-making thing, but you, you know, you know, if something breaks down, it's not the end of the world. But that's how it is. If you live in a land, you take care of, you're born there, you're raised there, and that's yours, you're going to take care of it, you're going to cherish it, and you're going to fight for it. And sadly, I've been to Hollywood a couple of times, I went there and like there's barely anybody living here. So who's going to fight? Why do we lose it so easily? We don't have anybody to fight for it. Because nobody's living there, or a small population is living there. Well, what's the argument about why we lost the war? I mean, it's, it was obvious to me. I mean, shoot. Anyways, I don't want to go into details. Go ahead, talk. As far as numbers. Uh, uh, we collect the money again. Uh, we do fundraisers through either, like, I'm doing a fundraiser this Friday, actually. That's a dinner fundraiser at my house. We do some fundraisers. We've done fundraisers like that last year. Uh, we have our website <clears throat> that you can go donate. You can go on Facebook. If you have a birthday, Facebook is, you know, comes up and says, oh, you want to donate to a charity of your choice for your birthday? You can choose our charity. Um, and the Facebook is support our heroes Armenia, by the way. Yeah. yeah, I have it. I have it pinned on the. Uh, yeah. on the so you can. Okay. So literally, you guys, click on it, and if you yeah. want more details as far as how to donate, it's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. So. And as far as project, like you were saying, if somebody wants to give a ten thousand dollars, for example, they want to do a big donation, and we're welcome. The smallest one to the biggest one. Uh, we can can go over numbers, and people that donate to us, we have, we take their email information. We have their, we have a database of all the emails. We send each one thank you letters. We send them progress reports. We send them our YouTube channel videos. You're hands-on. Yeah. So here's, you know, where your dollar is going to. Yeah. If somebody wants to do a big donation, for example, that IT center, Tever project, there's a set cost more or less. I mean, it can be off cut by a couple of dollars. If somebody wants to come in and say, hey, I want to take over this, I'm more than welcome to come and take over it. It's, your name will be there. This person donated, did this. So anytime you go there, you can go at least and see it yourself firsthand. And as far as numbers, we can can call more or less into general, like what each project we're involved in costs and what's going on. Well, a typical family project, and I call it a family project, could range because it, uh, we have different types of projects and the nature of our projects vary from providing basic furniture and appliances and assistance uh, to, all the way to building a brand new house and and furnishing it and, and including appliances and including livestock and the barn and everything else that comes with it. 
So um, the average price, if I can call it that, the average project cost is close to thirty-five dollars to $40,000. Is, um, this includes basically recreating a, a, a complete life so for that family. We're not in the business of creating... Of building homes, we're not in. When I say business, we're not. We're not in. Our projects are not construction projects. Construction is just part of what we do because we have to do it. Uh, so we're not an organization that builds who that, that builds uh, neighborhoods and homes and villages. We're an organization that builds lives, and those lives. Uh, if if we need to build homes to, to create those lives, we build the home. If we need to remodel the home or renovate it or do capital construction. We do what we have to do to recreate the lives that these people have lost, that our compatriots have lost. Uh, many of them have lost their husbands. So we create conditions for the for the widows <coughs> to basically <coughs> to basically live sustain their their uh, moral and mental state because it's you know true it's been a year but we've been doing this since the beginning since the end of the war and, and the beginning of the after war, and um, many of the wives who had who had lost, who have lost their husbands, uh, they they couldn't even speak to us the first few months, and you know we were sometimes we get very emotional ourselves, and I get very emotional because it's not you know it's not about charity, it's our, it's about our, our 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 brothers who have sacrificed their lives, and uh, it, it's hard it's hard for us, it's hard for the families. Uh, and even the families who haven't lost their husbands, they've lost their homes. We're talking about people who have lived in those homes. So many of them have built their homes with their own bare hands over over years, over over tens of years, and now they've lost it within a, within a few hours, um, including all their memories. And not only the home has been lost, but the entire village has been lost. So it, it's we understand that our our work is not construction related. It's people. We're dealing with people and. The, the focus we have is, is on people. So whatever we do is based on wh- what we need to do. So when we meet a family, we look at what do we need to do to recreate completely from ground up their life, their lives. And we do what we have to do. So that's why I said it could vary from, you know, average of twenty twenty five thousand dollars all the way up to sixty sixty five thousand dollars. I would say average is forty thousand dollars if we have to average it out. Yeah, certain certain smaller projects can can be in in a sense of, you know, maybe five ten thousand dollars. We have small projects like that too. When it comes to the Tever Center, which is uh, Tever meaning you know wings in Armenian, the idea was to give wings to the new generation. Uh, it's the first of its kind in Artsakh. It's going to have fiber optics and it's going to be comprised of. This is the IT center in this village of Nakhichevanik in Askaran. It's going to be comprised of forty sixty uh, wings. Uh, the forty percent is going to be uh, an academic center where we're going to have a one-year engineering training program for software engineering. And then as soon as they graduate, and it's going to be professionally run from Yerevan. Uh, it isn't going to be a, you know, just a couple of kids from Stepanagert teaching some basic computer language skills. No, no, it's going to be very professional. It's going to be industry professionals. Uh, most of the professors who are going to be teaching remotely in the conference room, they're going to be people who work in the industry, professional senior developers in the industry. Um, and, after they graduate, after the first, at the, at the end of the first year, we'll be transferring those kids. When I say kids, I mean 16 to 35-year-olds. We're going to be transferring them to the, immediately next door in the same center, and that'll be the co-working center. The co-working center will be basically where they're, they're going to be, get jobs. We're going to insure their jobs. We're going to guarantee their jobs at a, a minimum of 500 hours a month, which is 250000 a month. 
that'll be the minimum salary they're going to be getting starting salary. And that could grow to millions over the years. And as Edgar said, the point is not only to uh, create the IT jobs in Artsakh, not only to create them in the rural areas of Artsakh, and right now it doesn't exist in the rural areas of Artsakh, not only to connect the rural areas through fiber optics lines with the regional centers like Asker and Stepanaget, but also by empowering those youths, the youth, those kids, we're going to be basically creating not only jobs in those rural areas, we're going to be basically helping thrive those areas because as those kids stay in the villages, they work remotely from the villages because that's that's what it is. The, the co-working center is their way of working in the village just a few steps steps away from their home and, and making decent money. I'm talking real good money. So what's going to happen is they're going to, they're going to have to spend that money in, the, in their village. So they're going to be creating new businesses in the village. They're going to be uh, rebuilding the village themselves. So we no longer are going to need to uh, do charitable work and benevolent work in those villages. So our goal is to create um, job centers through IT in the rural areas of Artsakh. And in five to 10 years, instead of us going back and building homes in those villages, let them build their own homes. This is our plan. This is our grand vision. And um, it's going to be tough because schools in Artsakh, especially rural schools, do not have the math skill levels that we need today to be able to admit those kids. Uh, yes, there's going to be admission, admission exams, and it's going to be tough. But we believe that along with those centers being created in the rural centers, in the rural villages, we're also going to be helping the schools raise their academic, especially math and science academic levels, because the need like any other town in the U.S., you know, when you when you build a school, uh, the town starts prospering academically and scientifically with that school. If you look at the most successful towns, the richest towns in the U.S., such as the you know Bay Area, for example, you've got Stanford, you've got Berkeley, L.A., you've got great schools in L.A., you've got you know Boston, you've got Harvard and MIT. So the the richest and wealthiest towns have the best schools in the towns, um, and so they go hand in hand. And it's not the chicken or the egg. The reality is. You have to encourage both and you have to you have to start educating people and then educated people start building their, their homes and, and their, their communities. So that's what we believe we have to do. Instead of continuing to do charitable work, we hope that in 10 years, Artsakh is going to be self-sustaining and it's going to and kids in Artsakh, the new generation in Artsakh is going to make so much money that we're no longer going to need to, to do charitable work as we do today. That's it'll be, the hope. Yeah, it'll be self-sustaining at that point. Do you want to go over the cost of the Tever Center, more or less? I mean, obviously nothing is... The Tever Center is going to be costing us, including furniture. Uh, construction plus furniture is going to be close to $70,000. And um, interestingly, uh, we've got the plans and budgeting and everything is ready. We just need the sponsor right now. So if anyone wants to, you know, chip out $70,000, and if anyone is ready to even uh, put forth less than $70,000 and maybe get together and do a fundraiser at their home or in their center, in the community center locally here in the, in the U.S. Uh, we need that $70,000 as soon as possible because we need to start building it very soon and basically have the center open in the summer uh, so we can start before the academic school starts. John Doe? I think John Doe's ready to write a check. He's ready for the check? <laughs> John Doe can't write $70,000, let alone write a check for $70,000. And the... the- project, the housing project in Nakhijewanita, which is also at the same uh, where the Tever is. Uh, an average cost of the houses, which is, again, floor plans, everything is on our website. It's going to be roughly anywhere, again, depending on 
material costs because you know in the u.s prices are going up same in armenia too so depending on prices it's averaged about forty five thousand to about fifty five to sixty thousand dollars close to sixty thousand yeah. yeah especially now because prices have gone up and then logistics it's very hard to get stuff from armenia to Artsakh. And- is it because it is in Artsakh? that's why the cost is higher than what it would be for example if it was in gyumri well the reality is Everything costs more in Artsakh because everything that comes into Artsakh comes from Yerevan, uh, almost everything. But um, right now there's a shortage of labor in Artsakh because there's uh, some major construction going on, mostly government uh, finance construction, So, which we welcome, obviously, but that has created a labor shortage. So uh, labor rates have gone up, cost of materials gone up. Um, and um, we, the project, the Nakhichevanik, a new community project, which is going to have a complete infrastructure built by us, including water, sewer, electricity, um, community park for the entire village, including that one neighborhood that we're building. It's going to be 16 homes, 140 square meter homes, which is close to 1,500 square feet and or even more. Um, and it's going to be uh, basically a shining light, not only in Askeran and Nakhijavani, but in, in all of Artsakh. We, we want we believe that whoever, any Armenian who lives in Artsakh needs to live in better living conditions than Armenians who live in the center of Yerevan. This is our motto. Yeah. And, and, and uh, so we, we don't believe in building cheap houses and, and going after quantity. We want to make sure uh, that people in Artsakh realize that we value what they do. And the fact that they are present and breathing on Armenian soil in Artsakh, to us, that has to have a value. And that value is they have to live better than us in, Ere- in Yerevan. Uh, that's, that hasn't been the case for the past 30 years. We have to change our mindset. And uh, many organizations, smaller and large organizations, have come to our help with this project. Um, I can mention several, but the, the, the biggest organization that's come to our assistance so far is the Armenian American uh, Missionary Association of America. I should, I should call it, I'm sorry, Armenian Missionary Association of America, right? Yeah. And the AMAA. And uh, they're a great, almost 100-year-old organization, actually more than 100 years old. And uh, it's, they're one of the largest charitable organizations in uh, the diaspora and Armenia. And uh, they have donated over 300, basically $300,000 to the Nakhchevanik Community Project. And we, the overall project is close to a million dollars. So we've raised close to half of it. And we're looking for funds big time. So, um, the, um, so you've raised half a million. Uh, yeah, close to close it. to it. Wow. for that project, plus other yeah. projects too. Yeah, so we need to raise much more, and we don't have a lot of time. So we've got uh, the next few months to raise several hundred thousand dollars. And, and Edgar's fundraiser this Friday night is going to be helping in that sense. Um, Vic just did a super chat, donated hundred dollars um, to which, uh, which in turn we're going to um, donate that to your organization. But guys. Uh, some of the don't. commenters are right. Don't donate big amounts on on the super chat because YouTube does keep thirty percent of it. So is that confirmed though? Yes, that is for sure. Plus, it's not text. I mean, I know hundred dollars. Somebody might not, yeah. might care about it, but still, it's a text. Vic is an amazing it. guy. And Thank we you, Vic. Yeah, Vic is an amazing individual. It's, Thank you so much for that. But yeah, if you guys are gonna be donating, go directly to their website and yeah. go directly to them. At that point, it'll be because right now we have a lot of live viewers even if you guys all donate fifty hundred dollars that's gonna raise quite a bit of money the way but, Vic looks at it he said I'm donating yeah. seventy dollars <laughs> but but plus, don't uh, sorry to cut sure. you off plus uh, uh 
we want to have whoever donates, we want to have their information. We want to have their email. We want to have, we want to send them progress reports. I mean, I know just like we, uh, again, was saying like, and you were saying like, we give money, but we don't know where the money goes. We, believe me, some people say, I, I don't care. I give you a hundred dollars. I don't, I don't need to, I believe you, but we still want to show you the progress. We, yeah. we want to send you information about what we did yeah. with your money. Yeah. Is there a Venmo they can donate to right now? Or uh, it, through our website is through PayPal. Like if they go donate it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's not the it's, website it, again. Let me. It's uh, okay. You want to put it on the. I'll put it in the comments. Section. Here, I'll, I'll post it. Arm, Armand, you pin it off of the thing, off of uh, the screen. You know where the to screen. come? But he, he knows how to do it, bro. It's not his first day. No, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Done this a hundred. Now, 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 times. now, I can't do it. Where's the keyboard? Support just hero. tell me. Tell Support me our heroes. No, I, I don't. I don't know what it is. That's the thing. So I, I'm gonna. Our heroes. There it is. I'm gonna put. I'm gonna. I just click. I just messaged it. Just pin it. Pin it, and then what we'll do is off of. You want to stop telling me what to do? <laughs> oh, stop. Do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. It's a training one. No, that because that'll take them directly to where they need to donate. That link that I just put in. Where I don't see a link from you. It's on. What do you mean? There should be there. It's a message I put up. I'll put it in the body. I'll put it in the body. In the, the comment section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no message. For there me. should be. What's your name? Are you John Doe? <laughs> Don't insult me like that, man. <laughs> I would I love to meet. John it's okay. Doe, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pin it in the in the body of the uh, description, and we'll put it on the Spotify links. We'll put it on the Google links. All the links, so you guys, when you click on it, it'll go directly to the source. Where you can get all the information and donate wherever you need to donate. Yeah. Uh, That's Vic from Merherosner, yeah. by the way, for, guys. For exactly. those of you that are not following Merherosner, you guys definitely need to follow them. They're they're live on every other Thursday. Thursdays, night. Thursday nights. Yeah, Thursday nights. Uh, you learn tremendous amount about Armenian history. So, uh, I just got a text from Arbuk. It's my cousin's cousin. He said he's going to donate ten thousand. Wow. There you go. So, there you go. Whoa. There you go. Thank you, Arbo. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. That's that's, that's crazy. That's, that's a crazy. big one right there. Put a smile on all of our faces. <laughs> <laughs> now who's hey. gonna match that? Where's yeah. John when you need Where's it? JJ? Where's JJ? JJ, John, Alex, where are these guys? Yeah. Oh, oh, hey, imagine all that money we that? got together. Fuck, bro. When you said that, yeah. smile on our faces. Yeah. You know what I was thinking about? What did you think about? Not about our faces. I was thinking about every single face I'm going to be seeing in Artsakh. Oh, there you go. And the smiles on their faces. It doesn't matter what, what's on our faces. Yeah. We're just a channel. Definitely. That's the power of social media. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, you, it's, you. it's it's a love-hate relationship. But, yeah. you know, thank you so much for that, that generous donation. Uh, this is a picture. I'm sorry. Let me just show it to you guys. This is a picture that I took last year in March in Martika. So that's the smile. Exactly. Yeah. You, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. Like you see that, like it's, I don't know. There's no words. That, that, no that's why it, it, man, it just, it kills me when that's I see. That's why you don't want to go. When I <laughs> see these people, you know, they have 15 Rolls Royce <laughs> ghosts and phantoms and Kulinans and G Wagons. And yeah. In, in Armenia, I'm not I'm talking about Armenia. I'm talking about, I'm not talking about here. That live in Yerevan, they drive these cars and you've got to, kid like that that hasn't played with the new new toy since it doesn't have a bicycle man guys can i say something sure 
let's forget about the Rolls Royces and Mercedeses. Let's just it's, let's just focus on. So, don't be negative. negative. <laughs> I, 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 know, I you know. got you got to send them to an island and nuke them. <laughs> we can, you know what? Every country, every community, every society has its, you know, I guess rotten apples. Yeah. What we need to focus on is our mission, and I'm not talking about our our organization's mission. Yes, we have a mission, but our mission is your mission. Our mission, our mission is to build Armenia, rebuild Armenia, including Artsakh, and get there as soon as possible because, because our enemies are at our doorstep. They're actually inside our doorstep. We don't have time anymore. We can't be talking about this anymore. We've got to do this fast in the next five to seven, eight years and build a country that's so strong that we will have the ability physically, militarily, financially, demographically to retake what we've lost. And I know that's, that sounds very far-fetched. I know that, you know, we're talking about the Turkey and we're talking about 80 million people. But you know what? We were able to do what we did 30 years ago. And we were able to do it 114 years ago or 12 years ago. We can do it again. There's no reason we can't do it. We've gone through worse times than, than the times we are in today. If you look back at 1915, you know, just by reading, looking at the pictures and reading the books, it was a lot worse than it is today. It really was. And we survived it. We built a new nation. We built a new country. Five years or three years after the genocide, we can do it again. And we can do it better. There's no reason we can't rebuild what we lost. We can't retake what we lost. You know, we can't have the country of our dreams. There's no reason we can't. We can't, we can't constantly. And those, those guys are going to be out there. Even in the most prosperous Armenia, we're going to have those people who drive the Rolls Royces, who 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 do everything possible to not pay their taxes and then talk about nationalism and talk about, you know, the soldier and drink for the soldier. Those are the same people who haven't made their taxes, who haven't uh, financed the soldiers, you know, uh, not just arms, weapons, but they haven't even financed a single dot on their on their shirt and they're, they're drinking to the soldier today. But you know what? It doesn't matter what these people do. It's what we do. And there's several, several million of us in Armenia and here in the diaspora. If, it's, if, there, if we're five million, that's a, huge, that's a huge number. And I know we can do what we can, what we should do. We just have to make Armenia the center of our lives. Let's do it. Let's start doing it today. No, you're absolutely right. I, I look, I, I love your optimism, both of you guys. Your optimism, um, your courage, because it takes courage to do what you guys are doing, and especially you've hmm. moved out there and you're planning on moving out there. So that takes a lot of courage too. It's not, it's not easy. Like we talked about earlier, moving to Pasadena or Granada Hills is a, right. It's, it's. <laughs> but when you say courage to us, a lot of people like when I go. And it's all oh, like you have courage, you're not scared, you do this, you do that. And when I was mentioning about garden story, and there's many gardens there, but you go there, you see that what I did to him, it's a big deal, but to me, it's nothing because what he's doing is way bigger than yeah, what I'm doing. Yeah. He's, I don't know, and, and that's why, unless you've been there, it, it's difficult to comprehend the emotions that you guys have experienced because you have to be on the ground kind of in a sense when they say the front lines to see the impact on these people seeing it in pictures and videos is one thing yeah but to be there to smell it to feel it to taste it it's just 
that's a different we want to talk about courage let's talk about courage they you know we, it's not us who has the courage it's it's the people i mean i'm living in the Yerevan, in the center of Yerevan, in a yeah. very comfortable lifestyle i can go to any restaurant and any cafe and and do whatever i want to do that doesn't that doesn't take courage you know what takes courage is to have lost to be 30 years old have lost your husband in the war during a fighting and have four kids the oldest being nine or ten years old and have fled Artsakh during the war, you know, because she had to while her husband was fighting for the country and then go back to Artsakh and live half a kilometer away from the Turk, from the Turkish positions and live in a rented place because she's lost her home as well, not only her husband, and live with nothing. That's courage. And so we need to... We need to recognize where courage is. It's not here. It's not with me. It's not with Edgar. It's not in Yerevan. It's not in, certainly not in the U.S. Courage is there. It's on the front line where people are living today. And that should be our focus. We need to have more of these people living on our front lines, living in our, in our Artsakh today. So, and we can do it. And we're doing it. Let's do more of it. Well, we before we end the show, obviously we want to thank both of you guys for everything that you're doing. And, uh, we got an, I got a text message from somebody, um, Vic, who donated $100 and said, you know what? It's like he's donating $70 to he will be directly donating to your organization tomorrow morning. Uh, he'll be donating $1,000. Is he free to come on Friday? Thank you. Because <laughs> I can. I want to be there. Thank you. I'll, I'll connect you to Vic. Okay. I'll connect you to Vic from Mejerosnet. Vic is an amazing Friday, man. Uh, I'm having a fundraiser and I just told Darbuck the same thing. I said, I want you to be present there because I want you to see the people that are going to donate and what there's going to be posters there of the work that we do. I mean, it's on our websites too, but I want you to be there. I want you to feel the people. And it's funny when you, there's a lot of people that are doing great work. Like you guys know Anushik also. She's in Armenia. Like I met her through word of mouth here. Who is that? She has an Instagram page. She raises funds. She does the, the bungalow, how it's, she, the dome mix, she takes it to the front okay. lines. Uh, I met, I yeah, I met, uh, for example, veterans of Armenia. Yeah. Some of them are my cousins. I didn't even know. <laughs> so now we're connected together, working on hopefully doing a project to get that's the Parker Hospital. Hopefully they can come in and take part of the financing. Yeah, it's all there. about collaborating so, together, the connections that you get. That's each. one thing we and, need to have centralized. All this help needs to get centralized. Yeah, so we are. Everybody we are needs yeah. to get central. Iron sharpens iron. That's a very good saying that there is. And, you know, Armenians being the Armenians going through the history we went through and being the people that we are, we can make each other better. It's just about yeah. collaborating the correct way. Just By the way, speaking of collaboration, the one of our projects, and we do this all the time. People, people ask us, do you collaborate with others? Absolutely. Um, our one of our biggest projects today, which is over three hundred thousand um, dollars, and that that's not that doesn't even count. That doesn't even include a lot of the medical equipment. Uh, that's just construction and basic furniture. Um, is a three way. We have a three way contract for uh, the rehab center we're building in Stepanakert, which is the, the central military hospital. And as we've mentioned this before, but I, I want to make it clear that we are collaborating on this project. For example, with the soldiers' home uh, in Yerevan, which is uh, in my opinion, the best rehab center in, in Armenia uh, by far. And we are working with them. This is going to be a branch of their f- basically institution facility in Stepanakert. 
And um, we are also collabor- collaborating with the Artsakh Defense Army. So our contract is a three-way contract with the Defense Army, basically the Armenian Armed Forces Defense Ministry, as well as the Soldiers' Home in Yerevan. So support our heroes, Soldiers' Home, and Defense uh, Military of uh, you know, Ministry of Defense. Point is, there's no um, um, there's no reason we can't do this on every project, and we're doing it. We're yeah. doing it left and right. We're co- co- cooperating with major other charitable organizations. So yes, we are doing it. Yes, we'd like to do more of it, and it's it's been very very fruitful for us to co- you know. And we collaborate with the government every day. You know, government is running the fiber optics lines for our IT centers right now. So uh, we're doing the IT center itself. We're doing everything else, but they're doing the fiber optics lines. So we you know. I think it's uh, it's it's a welcome uh, move to to collaborate with both the government and other organizations. Yeah. And guys, this is all these guys are going to be as transparent with you as they are on the show. So when when you you know when Edgar was saying, we want your email, we want your information. This is so they could be transparent with you as far as letting you know what the projects are, where your money is going, and it, it's basically in good hands. Again, if you guys want to donate directly to them, it's uh, support our heroes. Am. Uh, not rocket science guys It'll, it's basically you know you, you'll figure it out if you can't figure it out google it google call it. us <laughs> call us we'll help you by the way how do they get a hold of you for the fundraiser on friday oh yeah yeah uh, can you can you let us know about that as well so we yeah, can fundraiser there's a, a the flyer basically i'm going to post it on my instagram uh, page uh, tomorrow uh, it's through my email through my phone number well, if you want how do they find it yeah. well i'm going to post a flyer up tomorrow so it'll show up on okay that. so follow edgar okay. i know edgar's uh Edgar's IG. Give me one second. I'll tell you guys right now. Give me one second. One second. One second. One are you going to post that on the uh, organization Facebook yeah. page? Okay. Support our are you, are you going to put it on the on that as I'll well? Support, support our heroes. heroes Armenia Instagram, Facebook. Yeah. Okay. So, Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. Okay. So Edgar's. Uh, if you guys want to follow Edgar, it's E D O N N O one. That's basically his Instagram, and then you know follow him. He'll give more information, and then obviously the. The organization's IG page. It's a support our heroes AM at support our heroes AM. Guys, thank you so much for taking time out of your Monday to be with us. Thank we you truly, truly appreciate it. Let guys, let's uh, say thank you to John Doe for his last show with us as well. Um, <laughs> this is, I mean, thanks for trolling Ridiculous. us for about what was it? Trolling us for about maybe what three weeks? Thanks, John, for trolling us for three weeks. So, I mean, it, it was fun while it lasted, but I mean. You're done. Yeah, you're done, buddy. I mean, it's, it's just it's just getting ridiculous at this point. You're a joke. Uh, again, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you so, so much for taking time out of your Monday to be with us. Thank you. We wow. appreciate every single thing that you guys are doing. And Ed, good luck on your <laughs> good luck on your journey heading back home. I'll let you guys know. I'll give you an update on that. All right, man. We'll be following you, man. Sure, we'll be sure. following you. Believe me, so many people you. say we're waiting for you to go, then we'll follow you. So I said, okay. All right. I think, I think you're gonna be that guy that takes more than a hundred we'll people see. there. Wow. Let me get there first. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> thank going. you guys. I want to appreciate yeah. your time. Uh, Truly, I want to thank all course, of you for man. giving us the time and the you know opportunity. To of course, man. Of course. Of course. This is what it's all about, man. It's all about. Again, yet we have donations coming in, and you know, connecting you and Vic, and having that other large donation come in. That's what it's all about, man. It's about you know com- coming together as a community, as human beings, and just helping each other out. Uh, again, thank you guys for everything you guys are doing. We really truly appreciate it, guys. Today's episode will be on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, all major platforms. Uh, follow us on Instagram, Wise Nuts Podcast for your daily memes. We'll see you guys next week. With you know what? It's a Valentine's Day episode. So Wee. 
It's Valentine's Day next Monday. It's Monday. Oh, Have you done your shopping? Don't forget art? to get me flowers. No, Both no. of you. <laughs> no, no, no. I thought you like chocolate. So you can order <laughs> chocolate from Arnold for me. Some strawberry cover. Ooh, look at that! Chocolate covered strawberries. Yeah, from I'll let Arnold. you. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, there you <laughs> go. At least we know what you want. You made it easier than the wives, bro. At least you just straight up said what you want. I'm easy like that. <laughs> we'll see you. We can tell. We'll, we'll see you guys next week for another episode with us. Uh, have a great week. Have a great weekend. Take care. Peace.